Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Centers it far wing, plenty of room. They go down and in, shoot, score! Nikita Zaitsev. Puts the Hawks on top, one nothing. Here's a long shot, score! Coming from the blue line. Classic put it over the glove of Bennington, who seemed surprised it got there. And it's 2-0 Chicago. Down the right wing to Zaitsev. Zaitsev looking back door, tapping and score! And on the back door, it was Dickinson putting the puck to the back of the net. 3-0 Chicago. And the Blackhawks are going to beat the St. Louis Blues tonight by a score of 3-1. In the first period, we were, our intensity wasn't high enough. We didn't win any puck battles. Execution with the puck, poor. Um, you know, we changed that in the second and the third, but you're down 3 nothing. It's tough. Not a good weekend for the Blues. Hope all of you had a wonderful weekend. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And yes, we start with the Blues. Yes, I know. I'm the optimistic one. There's, I voted to start with Otani. <laughs> there's, there's no defending what took place over the weekend. You lost to both bottom dwellers in the Metro Division and the Central Division. One team had 23 points on the season, was in the midst of a three-game losing streak. The other team has 19 points, had 17 points in the middle of the season, and doesn't have any of their best players. The goal differential for both teams that the Blues lost to was a combined minus 48. And you were outscored 5-2 to two and 3-1 to one to the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Chicago Blackhawks. So let's jump off from there. You heard Craig Berube talking after that Chicago Blackhawks game. Speaking of the Blues loss, and actually we just got a little news alert. Oh, is this like my breaking news? Uh, the real no, one? This is a, a decent breaking news alert, oh. but we won't need the sounder for this. No, the, oh, uh, that would be my breaking news The Blues alert. have placed... Yakub Verana on waivers. What? Yeah, I know. This like Tyler O'Neill is being shopped around right yeah, now. Yeah, the tweet we just saw from Jeremy Rutherford, Yakub Verana will be placed on waivers by the Blues according to a source. That's the tweet we saw. Okay, so we'll keep keep it locked in on that one. We'll see if the Blues make any other roster moves. But this leads me to my point that we were just going to make there. Both Craig Berube and Braden Shen were very vocal following that loss against the Chicago Blackhawks on Saturday. And rightfully so, you laid an egg against the bottom dweller in the Central Division. And you heard Berube saying guys aren't ready to compete. Guys aren't showing up right away. So here's what Braden Shen had to say following that loss of the Blues not showing up. 
pick and choose when we want to turn up the intensity meter in, in hockey games. And um, you're not going to win like that in this league. It doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, you know, the teams that are below us in the standings, we feel like we don't have to start on time. And um, it's resulting in losses. And that's just the reality of it. It's simple. The Blues are reverting back to last year's team. And I defended against that so many times this season, T-Bone. When BK was on with us, I, I pushed back every time somebody would say this is the same team as last year. Because for the first 14, 15 games, they were not the same team as last year. They were yet to go into a three-game losing streak. They found ways to simplify and better their game following ugly losses. And it stopped the snowball. It stopped what the Blues were falling into last season. But they're right back to it. I wrote this down following that game against the Blackhawks Saturday. The first 32 games, the first 13 games of the season, the Blues have allowed 32 goals. In the last 13 games, they've allowed 52 goals. And now they're in their first three-game losing streak of the season. It's starting to become deja vu here in early December of this Blues team falling back into the same problems that they had last year. And Braden Shen saying that goes to show you. Yeah, it, it sounds a lot like last year's team in which the St. Louis Blues were talking about, you know, our competitive nature's not there. and Night in, night out, we're just not there. I, I, It feels a lot like last year's team, you're right, in terms of this was something that the Blues wanted to dress in season, and they wanted to talk about it. I, and I remember this quote from Army last year. This is him. This is Doug Armstrong last year at his end-of-season presser talking about the Blues and not just their competitiveness on the ice, but their work behind the scenes. We're going to find out, and we're going to we're going to answer our own question: Is this an aberration or is this a trend? And if it's a trend, we're all going to have really bad years moving forward. And if it's an aberration, we're going to move ahead. And I'm not talking about wins and losses. I'm talking about how we win and lose games. I'm talking about the competitive nature of our team. I'm talking about what we see uh, each and every day on how we come to work and how we feel about when we go home from work. That sounds like a quote that I probably could have heard over the weekend. Again, deja vu. It, it is the same problem as last year. It is the inability to come to work and know what you're getting on a consistent night. I said this last week. They don't play a full 60 minutes ever. You never know what you're getting from the St. Louis Blues. They could play well in the first or they may not play well in the first. They could play great in the third or they may lay a total egg in the third period. They're just too inconsistent and it comes to this behind the scenes stuff that Braden Chin just brought to the forefront. And part of that was probably Jakub Vrana, too, who just got placed on waivers. I mean, Vrana got a last chance here on this road trip, played two games, averaged 10 minutes of ice time, didn't generate a shot. It was a minus four. Like, those, there are all kinds of issues with the St. Louis Blues team, and they don't just stem from on the ice. They stem from what's going on behind the scenes and that their inability to put in the work ethic, not the work ethic, I shouldn't say that. That's not right. The inability to come to the rink and put together a consistent hockey game and be ready to go from the jump. Yeah, I mean, look at the trends. We were talking about this on postgame Saturday night. Look at the trends of the amount of times the Blues have given up three goals in a three-minute span. Look at the trends of the amount of times that the Blues have allowed a goal in the first 60 seconds of a game. The Blues, when they're winning hockey games, they're, they're outscoring their opponents by like 18 goals. But when they're losing in the first period, they're being outscored by about 25 goals. And to Grant Francis's point on postgame Saturday night, look at this team when they pull the goaltender. Late in the game when they're down by a goal or when they're down by two, 
they're scoring goals. They're being aggressive. Some of their best hockey in terms of expected goals being scored is when their goaltenders pulled late in a game trying to come back into it. And then what's the narrative we hear at the end of the game? Well, we had a good push there late in the, the uh, third period, or we looked good in the second period, but we just made a ma- mistake in the first five minutes of this hockey game. It's a team that, to Braden Shen's point, decides when they want to play the style that Craig Berube wants them to. And this is the frustrating part because you know the structure works. You as a Blues fan saw the structure work. And if you don't believe me, watch the Calgary Flames game. Watch the Pittsburgh Penguins game. Watch the Colorado Avalanche game, the New Jersey Devils, the Montreal Canadiens. I could give you example after example after example of this Blues team that from start to finish looks like a solid team. But then I can also give you the Vancouver Canucks loss. I can also give you the first Colorado Avalanche loss, both Winnipeg losses, the Arizona Coyotes loss. It's a group of players that when the captain points it out and says, we are a team that decides when we want to show up to play hockey, changes need to be made. And that's the puzzling part for me. Like you have a power play that's been so bad this year. Yet as soon as you go six on five, when there's less ice than when it's five on four, you're getting all this sustained zone time and all these chances once you're down three goals and the game's practically out of reach. That that shows you right there that this team is picking and choosing when they show up. I mean, you have three games now on this season. Clear cut, you have the Chicago game this weekend, the Columbus game this weekend, and that San Jose game. You lost to three terrible teams. That's six points. If the Blues win those games, they are tied for third place in the division right now with Dallas. And they're one point out of first place in the division. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what it boils down to right there. Yep. And one more, because before we talk about this Verona move, because this wouldn't surprise me if there's more moves to come. But one more on the not being ready to play, because I know the pushback. I haven't even pulled up the Air Comfort Service text line yet, but I could exactly tell you what it is. Well, that's on the leadership of not getting these guys ready to play. Here's Braden Shen on that. Uh, yeah, leadership can step up, but we're not responsible for for guys in their gear. They have to they have to go out and play and play hard. So yeah, we have to get guys on the on the same page, and um, we f- we feel like our locker room's fine. It just it's just um, you know, like I said, we're, we're picking and choosing when we want to play. The the pushback of well, the leadership is supposed to get these guys riled up, or the coaching staff is supposed to get these guys riled up. They can do only what they please. And I remember Joe Vitale talking about this with me on pregame last year. Guys can read BS, and if there's players in the locker room that are trying to be the rah-rah guys to get everybody going and make sure you're hyped up for the game, yeah, guys read BS, and they'll go on the ice and they'll say, cool, good stuff. I'm going to go out and play my own game, and that's what they've fallen victim to. I always go back to 2019, or really 2018, when they fired Mike Yo and Craig Berube took over, and Doug Armstrong, much like we just heard in that cut that you played there a little bit ago, T-Bone, he talked about how... I'm not doing this again, meaning I'm not going to fire another head coach. We've got independent contractors. The next time that we're in this situation, it will be talking about players being moved on. And you're starting to see the trickle-down effect of that. And if you missed it, Jeremy Rutherford reporting uh, from Blues Practice that Yakub Verana uh, will be placed on waivers, according to a source. I haven't seen anything on the AHL roster moves yet, so we'll have to wait and kind of see what the Blues say about that. But Luke Korak also tweeting, 
and this is purely speculation. There's no reporting here, but Tory Krug's not on the ice at practice. And he finished the game against the Chicago Blackhawks. No injuries that I can remember. I'm not saying he's moved. All I'm saying is it's very evident that when Doug Armstrong got back with this team because he was doing scouting over in Europe, when he got back, he saw the problems and said changes need to be made. You started with those changes by bringing up a Hugh McGing, which the wild part for me with that is from Friday's game when Bortuzzo was traded or no. Yeah. Friday's game when Bortuzzo was traded, Doug Armstrong said on Valley sports Midwest, we're not going to utilize that other transaction spot, that other roster spot from the AHL. We're going to keep the team as is the Aguilade versus Columbus. Hugh McGing was recalled the next day. I don't know who's going to be recalled, but it's pretty evident that the blues and Doug Armstrong said this roster's not working. It's time to start making some changes. Yeah. And I, I think the biggest issue for the blues and it's not just, you know, th- this would be a totally different conversation because we know this is a retool. The blues were very upfront and said, this is a retool year. We'd like to make the playoffs, but Hey, it's not the end all be all for the St. Louis blues organization. It's a different conversation. If we're talking about a team that is just lacking in talent while going into this retool, it's another conversation. If you're talking about whether it be a talent issue or not, but talking about the issues that are going on behind the scenes and the effort thing, that's a lot harder to figure out if you're the St. Louis blues than it is to go in and say, well, you just got to bring in a top six forward. Oh, you just got to retool this defense on the fly. It's a lot. It's a lot tougher trying to weed out the issues inside the locker room because they it, if this is a ongoing issue and maybe it's fixed if if Rana was maybe the lone guy, I kind of doubt that. But we can read between the lines; he was part of the problem. Yeah, you're not you're not picking apart one player and saying that that's the reason the team's falling apart. Exactly. If you if that if this is a tough, they've got to weed out who the guys are and who the problem is and find a way to move on. Whoever that may be. Because this is a much this is a much tougher thing to deal with rather than just saying, you know, it is a retooling squad. We just don't have the top nine forwards that we need to go out and win hockey games. We don't have the goalie to go win a hockey game, or we don't have the defenseman to go win a hockey game. If that stuff's easy to fix, figuring out the issues inside the locker room are a lot tougher to fix for Doug Armstrong, and the Yakub Vrana move is just the beginning. And we'll see if there are more roster moves to come. My assumption is Godet's going to be a guy that's probably going to get one of the call-ups, I would think. Yeah, or maybe or they, Walker. Yeah, Walker. Or maybe they do want to go a little bit younger. Maybe they say, you know what, let's bring in a Boldick, let's bring in a Dean. I would be skeptical of that because... We've heard Doug Armstrong say, why did they send neighbors down last year? It was because they wanted him to get away from the bad situation, which was the St. Louis Blues. If they're having issues in the locker room and having issues with getting started on time, then I would be surprised if they call up a young player like a Bolduc or Dean that have prospect status. I wouldn't be shocked if it's a Walker or Godette that's brought back I'm going to be interested to see how this team responds to this, too, because now you've got a player that's been placed on waivers. Like Things are happening now. Mm-hmm. It's not just like we're going to let it play out and see if we can figure it out. No, things are happening now. So if you're not going to play up to the standards, they're showing that you're not going to play. Mm -hmm. So all these players that are on the fringe right now, is it going to be the, you know, go play the way you're supposed to be, or is it going to be the gripping your stick too tight and still playing the same way? Because if that's what happens, things are going to keep happening here. Yeah, it's time to start weeding through what this roster needs to look like, and it's a good move by Doug Armstrong for a team that's only one point out of a wild card spot with a game tomorrow night against the Detroit Red Wings. That is Grant Francis, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. We are live on the YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Studio Cam is brought to you by Air Alliance Team. Our Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. If you missed the news, Jeremy Rutherford reporting that according to a source, Yakub Verana has been placed on waivers. We'll keep you updated on that throughout the show today. And we've got two 
opportunities for you to win Blues tickets, so make sure you're tuning in in the 12 o'clock hour and the 1 o'clock hour. We've got Blues tickets to give away. We'll get more into Blues hockey talk back in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, the big news in baseball. It finally broke over the weekend. Shohei Otani has decided to stay in the Na- well, come to the National League. What does that mean for the Cardinals? We'll discuss next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look, they were the favorite at the beginning for one reason and one reason only, and that's that they could pay the most money. And look, $700 million, I mean, when you compare it to the biggest contract in MLB history, Mike Trout's $426.5 million dwarfs it. When you compare it to the biggest free agent contract in MLB history, Aaron Judge's $360 million almost doubles it. So there was the money. There was also the fact that Shohei Otani, having played down the five in Anaheim for six years, really grew to respect the processes that the Dodgers have in place and how they develop players in their farm system and the technology and science and everything they do. But the third thing, they win. And Shohei Otani, as we saw in the World Baseball Classic this year, loves winning. That's Jeff Passan on ESPN, of course, talking about the news that broke over the weekend. Shohei Otani signing with the L.A. Dodgers, not the Toronto Blue Jays, not the private jet we all thought he was on. No, he's in L.A. with his dog Dodger, now a member of the Dodgers. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Not only does he sign with the Dodgers, but he signs the richest contract in sports history, 10 years, $700 million, and a big chunk of that is going to be in deferrals, which, if I'm understanding it correctly, helps with the luxury tax situation so the Dodgers aren't paying out the you-know-what with Shohei Otani. But this is huge. One, because Shohei Otani getting this massive contract, but two, he decides to go to the National League and goes to a Dodgers team that might be in shambles, might be good now, who knows, but you add one of the best, if not the best player in baseball right now with two other phenomenal players in Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, it changes a lot with this National League. And I would imagine if you're a team now in the National League West or if a team in the National League Central, National League East, you're looking at the Dodgers saying, okay, now we know what the litmus test is. We've got to find a way to be able to get through Shohei Otani, Freddie Friedman, and Mookie Betts, a part of this Dodgers team. You're starting to see the big three, the three-headed monster that we see so much in basketball. Yeah, you really are. I mean, the Otani deal is going to change the landscape of the National League and for the next, I mean, obviously the next 10 years, and it's going to be a tough task because you look at the NL now, You've got a, what I would still call a super team down in Atlanta where they've got their young core locked up. In fact, their core is probably better than the L.A. Dodgers because they are younger. Um, you look at the Philadelphia Phillies. They've got a monster as well with Harper, Schwarber, Turner, Castellanos. Also two guys at the front end of the rotation in Nola and Wheeler. And now you've got the L.A. Dodgers who are clearly looking to build back upon their uh, Dodger empire, I would call it. I mean, look that, that lineup that you just mentioned, Otani, Betts, Freeman – Holy crap, good luck. And you're going to see all those guys in the first inning. So it, the National League is becoming an arms race. And really, I think that's what the case is across the American League as well, is it's really becoming an arms race, trying to load up on as much 
clear-cut, just superstar talent as possible, and the Dodgers do that once again. I do have to say, though, I was a little disappointed he signed with L.A., mostly because like, everybody knew he was going to be a Dodger. We just well, didn't want to admit it. Somebody didn't. Well, that's true. He apologized. Um, but <laughs> it makes I, it better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really hoping for him to go to the Toronto Blue Jays. One, because then you don't have to see him in the National League. And, and two, it's just a different story in baseball. You know, you get that team that's really a big market, but they're kind of overshadowed by everybody else, and then they are able to spend $700 million on Shohei Otani. But instead, he just stays in L.A., goes to the L.A. Dodgers. And I tell you what, man, the National League is going to be a tough task for the next 10 years because of the Dodgers, the Braves, and the Philadelphia Phillies. The poor little Cardinals are sitting in the middle going, oh, crap, what do we do? Well, and what do we do is the next big question. And, T-Bone, you sent BK and I a really interesting text that I saw, and the first thing I read, I was like, you know what? That's kind of what I was wondering as well about the Shohei Otani news signing with the L.A. Dodgers and what that does for the Cardinals. Yeah, I, I'm i not going to lie. And, look, this is probably why I couldn't be in most position wearing a bow tie. Um, well, and you look weird with a bow tie, like Pewee Herman S. Yeah, I would look weird. Yeah, me too, um, man. I uh, after seeing Otani sign a ten-year contract with the LA Dodgers, and knowing that they're still going to be active in starting the starting pitching market, like reports now say that Glass now is now their top target. I I think I would become more willing to trade Nolan Gorman now, and I was very hesitant. I'm still very hesitant to do that. Because I think you can't, it's hard to develop a guy that has 40 home run power from the left side. There's not many of those guys across the game of baseball. But when you look at what the Dodgers have, you look at what the Mets could be in future years. They're not going to be there this year, but they we know they have an unlimited wallet with Steve Cohen. You look at what the Phillies and Braves are right now. You look at what the Cubs could do this offseason. It's an arms race. And the Cardinals right now are still lacking a top-tier starting pitcher. Look, Sonny Gray's a great addition, and maybe he proves to be a number one. But who's your number two behind him? You know, they, Lance Lynn, Kyle that's Gibson. terrible. What? Lynn and Gibson are great back end starters, but there are guys you don't want starting in the playoffs. And it says something that I can hear an argument for one of those guys being your number two right now. So it it made me seeing the Otani signing go, man, this rotation like how would it compete against the best offenses in baseball? Look, you can get through the regular season. You're not winning mean- anything meaningful in October. So after seeing Otani join the National League and what was already a pretty deep National League, it makes me go, okay, now I might be more willing to to kind of really bite the bullet and trade to Nolan Gorman to go out there and get a top arm if necessary. So, so here's... And this is why I know I get pushback about trading Nolan Gorman. This is why I've always been there. And Shohei just kind of... Uh, adds to my example why the Braves the Phillies honestly for how the Diamondbacks played you've got to have at least two arms that you believe can get you through a series in the playoffs and you don't have that I I mean as much as I love Miles Michaelis I don't think Miles Michaelis is that guy Sonny Gray's that guy and now the Dodgers join that club even if Otani's not pitching this season Otani is still an incredible batter and you're putting him in the middle a Mookie Betts and a Freddie Friedman. You don't have a pitching staff that can navigate through that for a three or a five or a seven game series. So this is why I've always stated you got to trade Nolan Gorman to get that bat or the pitcher. And I understand you don't want to move a young left-handed controllable hitter who's potentially going to hit 40 bombs. Get it. But I also need to upgrade my pitching staff. Otherwise, I'm just going to be a wildcard team. We're going to just live in this fantasy land of, yeah, we could be a World Series contender, but in all reality, you're a team that's going to get bounced in a wildcard game. And sure, anything can happen. But anything can't happen if you're playing two games and the second guy that's got to lead you to a victory 
is a Kyle Gibson, a Lance Lynn, a Miles Michaelis, a Steven Matz. So, and again, I've made this very clear. I'm not trading Nolan Gorman for Tyler Glass now. I'm not trading Nolan Gorman for Dylan Cease. I'm trading a Nolan Gorman for a Logan Gilbert. I'm trading a Nolan Gorman for a legit top arm that is significantly better than Sonny Gray. That's who Nolan Gorman gets traded for. Otherwise, if you can move Burleson and a couple of other pieces, go get Tyler Glass now. But if your offseason were to end like this, or you signed a high-leverage bullpen arm, I'm still going to give it a, a, a low B, high C, because you haven't upgraded the top of your rotation. And against all of these other top teams, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, I, I look at it, and I, I would say I would still target someone like a Cease. I think you can potentially get without throwing Gorman into the package. Definitely glass now without throwing Gorman into the package. I would be looking down that that route first. But if Seattle is open to a Gilbert trade, you know, I would be open more now so than I was on Friday to potentially move a Nolan Gorman. Again, I really don't want to do it. But, I mean, you look at the National League, it is an unbelievable top three teams of the L.A. Dodgers, the Atlanta Braves, and the Philadelphia Phillies. And the Phillies pretty much have their rotation set. It's just a matter of what do the Dodgers do to their rotation because they still definitely need to make more moves and more significant moves because right now their best pitcher is Walker Buehler and he's coming off of Tommy John. Like, how do you feel about that? And then they've got Bobby Miller and then a whole bunch of question marks. They go out there and they're in the Yamamoto sweepstakes. They get him. They get a glass now. They add two starting pitchers to that rotation and they're not going to be shopping in the bargain bin. They're going to be a team to beat this season, and they're going to be a massive threat, not just in the NL West, but to the teams in the National League fighting for the World Series. So you almost have to try and – I know the Cardinals would say, you know, we don't we don't want to do anything that's over-rational. We don't want to react to a move like this. This is a seismic shift in the National League when Shohei Otani joins the L.A. Dodgers, and it almost should push the Cardinals into saying – you know what, maybe we should go out there and really kind of push ourselves in looking for that top-tier starting pitcher. In the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646, saying don't trade Gorman, trade Donovan. Fine. Trade one of the two to go get that top arm. I think you're going to be more likely to get somebody like a Logan Gilbert with a a Nolan Gorman over a Brendan Donovan. I don't care who, but you're going to have to make one of those moves. And, And I will say this, right now the Cardinals are definitely built on a team that is you know, we need to win with our offense to where they probably need to be a top five National League offense and then be like middle of the pack in pitching. I don't know if you can win with that formula in the playoffs. And I'm not saying that because of, well, of course not. Goldie and Arnado don't perform in the playoffs. Small sample size. I'll hear more of that argument this year if they get there and then lay another egg. But it's hard to win in the postseason with your offense. I mean, I know Texas kind of did it this year, but they were also led by just incredible pitching from Montgomery and Nathan Avaldi. Pitching is typically the one that will give you the edge in the postseason because good pitching always shuts down a good offense. Right now, the Cardinals are trying to almost zig while everybody else is zagging and trying to win with an offense, which I think you can do in the regular season. I don't know how well you can do that in the postseason when you only have one legitimate top-end arm. He's Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, some Alex Ferrario. It's BKN Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, NFL quick hitters, including... The Chiefs complaining about a call that made all of the sense in the world. Tanner's got a little hot take coming your way next on 101 ESPN. 
All these crazy alien stories can't be true, can they? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. They send another blitz, selling out, flag on the play, might be a free one. They've got Kelsey at the 30, Kelsey 25, angling back, 20, now he's going to lateral it back at the 15-yard line, it's Tony, 10, 5, touchdown, quarterback. Number 19, offense, lined up in the neutral zone, 5-yard penalty. Offsides by the offense, lined up in the neutral zone. One of the most exciting plays, a TD is wiped off the board and a five-yard penalty. Oh, Kadarius Tony, Kadarius, standing with his toe on the line of scrimmage as the Chiefs lose that touchdown, what could have been the go-ahead touchdown, and instead lose to the Buffalo Bills 20-17 to last night to uh, cap off a crazy week of week 14 in the NFL. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get the questions and answers coming up in our next segment. 314-399-9646. That is our air comfort service text line. So send us your questions. We'll get to those in a bit. But let's start with the Chiefs on our NFL quick hitters, fellas, because uh, the Chiefs are, they're in a, a a rut right now as they've lost four of their last six games and three of their last four. They now sit at eight and five on the season and they, they hit their breaking point last night with that offsides call, not because it it cost them the game, but because Patrick Mahomes did something that we have not seen him do in his career. He embarrassed himself on the field, on the field. And then afterwards in the press conference, I mean, he was losing his mind cussing out the refs, going after him, had to have his entire offensive line hold him back and then complained about the officiating after the game. Andy Reid did as well, saying that, you know, it's a call that shouldn't be in the NFL. But the problem is they got the call right. Kadarius Toney, look at the pictures, was on the line of scrimmage, never checked with the line judge before the start of the play. And it negated the Travis Kelsey touchdown. There's no complaining about that. Sure, you could go to the next play where the Buffalo Bills lined up offsides as well, but it doesn't matter. You were upset about a non about a call that you believed was a non-call that negated a touchdown when all of your anger and frustration and probably penalty fine suspensions were for naught because the call was correct. This was... That was an embarrassing overall game for the Kansas City Chiefs, and you can tell why the frustration that took over. Yeah, man, Mahomes' comments post-game, quote, I've played seven years, never had offensive offsides called. That's elementary school stuff we're talking about. There was no warning throughout the entire game. Then you wait until there's a minute left in the game to make a call like that. It's tough. Loss for words. It's tough. Regardless, if we win or lose, just the end of another game, and we're talking about the refs. It's just not what we want for the NFL and for football. Hey, Mahomes. Hey, Andy Reid. Hey, Kadarius, Tony. Hey, Jared McKinnon, who said the refs had it out for us. Shut the hell up because the ref got it right. Tony lined up and played 
pulled an idiotic move, didn't check where the line of scrimmage is, and he's off sides. Let's not blame the officials for your inability to do fundamental football, okay? Lining up properly isn't a hard thing to do. So I don't want to hear about the referees going after the Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes, I'm tired of hearing it. It, I understand the frustration because your wide receivers have butterfingers. Okay, I get it. (laughs) But let's not, blame, let's not blame the referees on this Butter one. Butter toes, too, they, in this one. They got it right. Let's quit yelling at them and blaming them. You guys just didn't play fundamental football. And let's be honest, you deserve to lose that football game to the Buffalo Bills. For his comment, too, saying there was no warning throughout the game, w- w- was he lined up offsides throughout the game? And I I heard last night, I think it was, uh, what's his name, Matthew Perry? No, uh, what's the referee on ESPN? I can't remember his name. But I heard him say that, the refs don't even have they're they're doing you a favor by when you line up looking at them and asking if if you're on side mm-hmm. guys Tony doesn't even look at the referee no, he, he was even staring do, at the ball he doesn't even do yeah, the first that's the step of that thing. he's staring at the ball and he's still a yard offside like how does that happen <laughs> I, I don't know man and and again and I understand the text line is absolutely correct if anybody should be pissed off it's it should be Patrick Mahomes, but not for the reason he was pissed off at last the receivers. night. receivers. Well, that, but he should also be pissed off at the front office for not getting him quality yeah. receivers to play with. That that should be the frustration. And honestly, if I if I understand where Mahomes is coming from, I know what he's doing. He's protecting his wide receiver. He's he's protecting the shade. Forget that's, that. Tony needs to line up on side. Understandably so. But that's your quarterback. That's the guy. That's your captain. He's leading it. He's protecting his guy. But to blame the officiating on something that was clear cut, blame something else. But to blame it on that, it just it, doesn't look good. And again, it's because you're eight and five. If this team was, if this team was eleven and two, I don't think he would have done that. I think he would have been like, yeah, it was a bad play, and you know what, we should have won that game, but we'll move on from it. But instead, you're eight and five. You're probably going to have to be on the road playing in a wild card game, so you're pissed and, off, and the only person you could blame is the officials. And let's be honest, they know it. They are a very vulnerable football team. They are no longer, you know, I think we talked about this probably like four weeks ago. It's probably been a month. And I remember saying, you know, like, eh, you know, I don't know if I would label anybody a favorite in the AFC. And we kind of came to the conclusion of, well, you know what? We'll, we'll take the Chiefs because you got to beat the champ to prove it. You know, you got to prove it. Yeah. Man, I don't know. They don't, they look very beatable as we've seen in their recent struggles. And they look very vulnerable as a potential, not just a, they look like a potential first-round playoff exit oh, yeah. is what the Chiefs look Especially like right now. Especially if you're on the road. And so that leads me to my next one. We also saw another potential Super Bowl championship caliber team just get the ish completely beat out of them against the Dallas Cowboys. Who's more concerning right now, the Chiefs or the Eagles? I think Chiefs. I, I think the Chiefs are very vulnerable. I, look, I think the Eagles have their own issues. And honestly, I think the answer probably should be both here. I, I think the Chiefs are clearly a beatable football team because their offense isn't a big threat. If you can somehow just, I don't even say shut down Travis Kelsey because you can't shut down Travis Kelsey, but if you can minimize his damage, you're going to beat Kansas City if you got a decent offense. Like, look at the Buffalo Bills. Chief defense is good. The Bills were still able to beat them and put up uh, 20 points. So, it's the first to 20 against Kansas City. You get there, you're going to beat them. I think the Eagles have some issues defensively. They're not as good as they were last year. But if they kind of figure things out offensively, find a bit of a rhythm, they still have the weapons on offense to get them further into the NFC playoff picture. And potentially, I know they just lost to the top two teams, the Cowboys and 49ers. They get things figured out offensively, which I don't know if they will. They can still potentially beat one of those two teams. Yeah, I mean, it's the Chiefs for me because of what you just said. The Eagles lost to better teams. 
the Eagles lost to two teams that should be considered Super Bowl contenders over Philadelphia. I mean, everything about San Francisco is ready for a deep run. The same can be said about the Dallas Cowboys and props to them because I thought when they lost um, Diggs that they were screwed, but they've had guys step up into that role. Their defense overall has been rock solid and then Dak's playing like an MVP. It's the Chiefs. The, the Chiefs lost to the Buffalo Bills. The Chiefs, Chiefs have lost to underwhelming teams this season and frankly, it's it's just the AFC. There's no good team in the AFC right now. And I will say this, like I'm very worried about the Philadelphia Eagles. They feel a lot. And you, you tell me if I'm going too far here, you know, I'm known for overreacting on a Monday. They kind of feel Vikings esque to me from last year where you look at the Vikings, you went, man, that's a great offense. Miami feels like that too, though. Yeah, a little bit. Miami feels like the Minnesota Vikings to me, Miami, but I see what you're saying Miami with Philly. Miami just feels like the team that just hasn't proven it against a good team. The reason I say this about Philadelphia, I saw this stat from the writer that covers the team for the Athletic, and it's interesting. The Eagles are one of four 10-win teams in the NFL. Since 2000, there have been 106 teams with 10-plus wins through Week 14 of the NFL season. Among that group, the 2023 Eagles rank 103rd with a point differential of plus 21. The Eagles are 7-1 in in one-score games this season. What were the Vikings so good at last year? They were great in one-score games. And everybody said, man, that defense just isn't good enough. They're going to eventually lose in the playoffs. Who would they lose to? The freaking New York Giants and Saquon Barkley and Daniel Jones. I'm not saying the Eagles are going to lose to that bad of a football team, but it reminds me a lot of Minnesota last year where they had the weapons offensively. You look at the defense, it's underwhelming, and they're just really good in a bunch of one-score games. I yeah. think the difference there, though, is if you're talking Kirk Cousins versus Jalen Hurts, I think Jalen, Jalen Hurts, Hurts takes is the clear-cut yeah. better player I, there. I, so, on, And at least Philadelphia's paper, defense yes. can make a difference in games. Can they, though? I mean, they, I mean, did, they just uh, got the crap beat out of them the last absolutely, two games. Absolutely, but I think that's a Super Bowl contender. Like, I think against a mediocre team, Philadelphia, I mean, they have a hell of a pass rush to where they can cause disruptions. They can make it around in the playoffs. Minnesota had no chance of making it anywhere because they had no defense. They had to outgun their opponent offensively. And Philadelphia, at least you know Philadelphia can keep it close with that with with teams on their level. And it's very clear that Dallas and San Francisco are not on their level. And for me, though, like I know as we you just said, like Hurts and Cousins. Look, I would agree. I do think Hurts is a better quarterback than Cousins. I don't think he's playing like it, though, right now. And look, I know Cousins is out because of a torn Achilles. Jalen Hurts, the last two games, look, he threw for almost 300 yards against San Francisco. A lot of that garbage time. Why? Because they got the crap kicked out of them. Against the Dallas Cowboys, 197 yards, QBR rating of 38.1. Like, He's not playing well, and he's also turned the ball over a lot more this season than he did a year ago. This year, he's got 10 interceptions already. He's also fumbled four time, five fumbles this year, and he's lost four of them. He's turning the football over a lot. He's starting to hurt his team more. So, I don't know. They remind me a lot of the Vikings. I don't think we're going to see either the Eagles or the Chiefs get back to the Super Bowl. So, don't no, be counting don't on either. both those teams getting back there this year. I think both year. get bounced in the first round, to be honest with you. The Chiefs I think there's a chance. I don't know if they both will because, like, Philadelphia is probably going to win bad. a series. I think the Chiefs don't make it out of the first round. 
Uh, and, and I think their their woes offensively are going to cost them um, in that uh, in that first round of the playoffs. But we've got Monday Night Football later on tonight. Titans versus Dolphins kickoff at 7-15 right here on 101 ESPN. We've also got your questions to get to 314-399-9646. That is our Air Comfort Service text line. You can also post your questions up on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL. Questions and answers is next here on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 314-399-9646 is our Air Comfort Service text line. You can send us questions to that. You could also send them over on our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN STL. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Let's start with this one from the 270 with Verona being placed on waivers. What do you think the coinciding move is going to be for the Blues? I, personally, I don't think there's going to be a coinciding move. I, I think... I think Army is going to do what he said he was going to do when they traded away Robert Portuzo and keep the roster as is. Um, if you missed it, Luke Korak, who's going to join us at one o'clock today um, of NHL.com, he tweeted out the line combinations. The lines are massively juggled up. You've got neighbors with Thomas and Cairo, Saad with Buchnevich as the centerman and Kasperi Kapanen. Hayes, Shen, Sunquist, Torpchenko, McGing, Blay, Alexandrov will be the extra. And then Tori Krug, who was absent, more than likely was a maintenance day. Um, Tyler Tucker was playing in that spot by Tori Krug and Skandela Perunovic as the third pair. I don't think they call anybody up. I think this is now a prove-yourself situation by the Blues that says, Kairu, you're supposed to be a top-line guy. Go be a top-line guy. Booch, we need you to be a a versatile player for us. We need you to be our second line centerman. Uh, Kevin Hayes, can you be a winger? Fourth line, can you bring us some consistence right now? I, I don't think there's going to be a coinciding move unless Doug Armstrong feels the player is going to help this team. Right now, I don't see, I mean, a Gaudette probably comes in for a McGing. I don't think that really matters right now. You're not bringing Bolduke up. You're going to keep your top nine as is. I, I think this is a prove-it situation. Yeah, I... I would be shocked if there's not a move because what's the harm of bringing up a Gaudet? I mean, it's not like he's going to cost a lot against the cap, and now they have some cap space after waving Yakub Brana. I like why not call him up? He's playing well in the AHL. Bring him in, see what he can do, see if he provides a little bit of a spark because this team desperately needs it. These line combinations tell you the state of how the Blues are going when they've moved Buchnevich back to centerman. And I think the Blues basically said after last year, after the experiment with Booch at center, where it was like, yeah, you know, we really don't want to put him there in case it's an emergency. And when I say emergency, I don't mean losing two games to two of the worst teams in the NHL. I mean a lot of injuries. So the fact that they're moving him back to center and centering that second line and breaking up that top line, which I think had been pretty good in Thomas, or Thomas uh, Booch and Neighbors, it's it, pretty telling to me the, the state of the St. Louis Blues and how they feel about things right now. I wonder if it's starting to become a thing where it's like, okay, we still hope that we can be competitive this season going down the stretch, but it almost feels like to me they're starting to prepare for another season that might be a downer because, I mean, you trade Bortuzzo, which made sense because he wasn't getting ice time and he's getting ice time somewhere else now, but then you wave Verana, which makes sense because he wasn't playing well, but I mean, he was a part of the team that they were hopeful about, just didn't work out, but you wave him, 
and now you just have all these players that are younger that are going to be getting opportunities. That's why I don't really see a player like Gaudet getting called up for a long time. He's 27. He's likely not going to be a long-term solution for this team. So why would you put your eggs in that basket? And then kind of the same thing with Walker. Like at this point, you might start seeing players get more opportunities to grow. Kairou now on the top line. Let's see what Buchnevitz can do at center again. Try that out. So it starts to feel like you're punting on the season a little bit with hope that it might work out. That's what it's starting to feel like to me. Someone from the 314 says, what happens if Ferrana clears waivers? Do you send him down to the minors or do you just completely waive him? So the only way you completely waive him is if you buy out the contract and uh, the Blues aren't doing that. So they'll tell him you go to Springfield Thunderbirds. If he opts to not go to Springfield, then that's where things kind of get dicey. But my expectation would be Verona goes to Springfield and the Blues will tell him, look, you go down and perform well. We'll find a trade partner for you if we can find a trade partner uh, from the six three on our air comfort service text line morning boys please give me your thoughts on jordan Cairo. the guy's supposed to be the future he's minus 10 and has one goal in his last 13 games he's on pace to have worse numbers he isn't young anymore what's going on here we're gonna talk about this in the one o'clock hour but i i don't think Cairo's having a bad season He's just not playing like an $8 million player. And that's the hard part. That's the gray area right now. Part of the reason why I think he's put back up on this top line with Thomas. I really wonder if this is Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube saying, we need you to be the difference maker. So you're going to the top line. Please be a difference maker. And if he's not, then you start to look at things. I I really believe that this team is at a crossroads situation to Grant's point where you've got a roster that you believe can win. And you've got a coach who likes to coach a certain way. And which direction are you going to go as general manager, president of hockey operations? Do you lean more towards the side our coach goes and find players that mimic that? Or do you lean harder into this roster and say, we've got to figure this out? So I, Kairou is such a interesting case this year because what was the number one thing that you really wanted to see from Jordan Defense. Kairou? Defense. And he's been better at that. And he's definitely been better. I think there's been a couple moments where you still see a little bit of the old Cairo, but hey, you it's cut down. do that with down. everybody. And the goal is basically, we said this in, coming into the year, the goal is basically Cairo, can he get to being an average defender? Now, what's interesting is that the offense isn't there, but I would think, and this is why I think, like, if you were to ask me to, like, grade Cairo's season yet, I would say I can't. I need to see more. I need to see the full season because I think the offense is coming. It just feels like a really long cold stretch. Because he's not going to have a shooting percentage at, what is it, 5%. He leads the team in shots. Like, he's still generating offense. Problem is, it's just not going in right now. And if you told me that he was going to be generating offense for the Blues, creating chances, and his defense was going to take a step forward this year, I'd say that's a massive success for the St. Louis Blues. But you just can't grade it yet because I think the goal scoring is going to be there. I'd be shocked if he finishes at a 5% shooting percentage. And I'm with you. It's just at this point... You get to a point where it's like, okay, every time he scores a goal, it's like, okay, is he back? Is this the jumping off point for him? And then he goes two, three games without a goal again. It's like, it's got to come at some point. And I mean, we're, we're 27 games into the season now. It's starting to get to the point where it's like, okay, we need this to start showing up. I agree with you. I think the defense has been a great improvement for him. Still not great, but it's been a really great improvement for him compared to what he was last season. But the goal scoring has to be there at some point. You're making $8 million a year. you got to get that goal scoring up. I think it'll come, but he just has to come in time. This team has to make a decision on him here soon. And that's the point I was going to make. What are you great at? 
And that's the question that the Blues probably are asking Jordan Cairo. You're not supposed to be great at defense. Everybody wants him to be better at defense. Fine. He's been better at defense. That's not his game. You're supposed to be great at goal scoring, offensive creation, and you weren't doing that on the second or third line. Start doing it on the top line. Otherwise, yeah, you have to look at this team and say, is this the right fit for our roster moving forward? That's the whole point of a retool. The Blues are in this spot right now where they're like, does this player make sense for us long term? Now, obviously, contracts are putting you in this tight spot, but you're looking at this roster and saying, how do we win with these guys? And do these guys help us win? And that's the question that I think the Blues are asking themselves right now. And one point to that is on the defensive side of the game. And I'm not talking the five-man unit. I'm talking about the defensive pairings because I think there might be time for a change for your top four. I'll explain why coming up next year on BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I do. I do. And, and, and we're in the show me state, so this is it like the, the we won't be having this comp if, if we're here with with the same core group of d in the same spot you don't have to ask that question ever again that was doug armstrong following last season's regular season press conference at the end of the year or doug armstrong was asked the question you know you talk about bringing back the same defensive core do you expect any changes and alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grand Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Those are some very strong words from Doug Armstrong, where I'm sure if you played those for him, he's like, yeah, I forgot that I said that. But look, what Doug Armstrong said there, he's absolutely correct. And it, it backs what we talked about in the opening of the show to where he talked about independent contractors when they fired Mike Yo and Craig Berube took over and said, if we have the same issues next time, we're not talking about trading or firing a coach we're talking about players being traded away but to his point you can't make any trades right now because uh, let's be honest hockey trades are so rare at this time of the year and you've got no trade clauses that go with it the only thing you can do is make changes in terms of play time and I think it's time for the Blues to look at their defense and say, we've got to move things around because it has not worked out with our top four of Nick Letty and Colton Pareko and Justin Falk and Tori Krug. And maybe I'm in the minority, but I believe a lot of people believe what I'm saying. I don't think the problem has been Colton Pareko or Justin Falk. I think they've been very good and they've had the bounce back that Doug Armstrong's talked about. The problem is if you go to moneypuck.com, which does the analytical side of things and look at expected goals against. Oh, here we go. Analytics. Analytics, right? Ruin the game of hockey. Expected goals against in total for the season where you could go expected goals per 60 minutes and it's very different uh, in that, but expected goals in total this season. Nick Letty and Colton Pareko and Justin Falk and Tori Krug have been the two worst defensive pairings in the National Hockey League. And prior to the last Seattle Kraken game where they got lit up and didn't have a good showing by Vince Dunn and Adam Larson, they were four goals expected against worse than the next pairing defensively. Now, that's shifted. Now they're only two goals worse, but still. Small goals in life. I I think, and if you look at the evidence in the offseason when they tried to trade Tori Krug, 
what they were trying to do is find somebody who plays well with Colton Pareko so that Nick Letty can be on the line with Justin Falk and you kind of even things out. You've got that top pair that can play 25 minutes a night to shut things down. You've got your offensive pair, which, by the way, Krug and Falk have been really good offensively in terms of expected goals for. But I think it's time to put Scott Perunovic or Marco Scandella up into that top four because you're at the point, and maybe not this, this doesn't play into the Marco Scandella conversation more than Scott Perunovic, you're at the point now where you know what these guys are. And to Doug Armstrong's point, you're kind of in the same spot that you were last season with those guys. You look at a Scott Perunovic and say, does this player have the upside we're looking for in our top four? Maybe, maybe he doesn't. But at some point, you got to figure that one out. Because if you keep throwing back out there, Letty and Pareko and Falken Krug, it's just going to keep going south for you. And look, I understand the first 13 games of the season, they were good defensively. But that shifted, and it's been 13 consecutive games where defensively you have faltered. So at least right now, it might be time to look at a different top four pairing defensively. Yeah, what was the stat you had the first 13 games they allowed, was it 32 goals? 32 goals, and then the last 13 games they've allowed 52 goals. So you've allowed 20 more goals in 13 games than the first chunk of the season. Yeah, and look, I I think the Blues had the right idea. And in the offseason, which was, we're going to look and try and get the guy that's going to pair with Preco. That's why they went after Sanheim. Because I think the Blues realize they cannot exit this retool without finding a partner for Colton Preco. There is no longer, let's just throw numbers at the problem. It is, yeah, throwing numbers at the problem doesn't work. We need to go and find the guy and lock up the guy and have him paired with Preco. Um, but also, I, I think it was the right approach of, hey, this was the first last year, was the first year that you saw this defense really fail and fail spectacularly to where you were giving up so many goals you end up missing the playoffs. It was okay to say, you know what, we're in a retool. Let's see if the, if it was a one-off or if it is truly a defensive problem. And as we know at this point, it is a defensive problem. Now, I agree with you. I think Pareko has been pretty good for the St. Louis Blues this year. I know his numbers won't support that, and I know his analytics definitely don't support that when you look at his player cards. I, Falk, I think, has been fine. I, I, Falk, I'm not, I'm not willing to say he's been great this year, but I think he's been fine, and I think part of that could be he's being held back by his partner. They, they clearly need to find a way to fix this, and it is something that we've known f- for the last two years, and it is just being reaffirmed this season that this is not a this is not a defense that can be fixed with a schematic change. It looked like that early on that hey, maybe if they play a zone, they will be better off for it. No, they just don't have the guys to play defensive hockey, a defensive scheme here at this level here with the St. Louis Blues. I, I the long term focus it just feels like for this Blues team is 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 finding out what the right defensive pairs is, are going to be for this team. And and again, it's so hard to talk about this because the first thirteen games of the season, that quote by Doug Armstrong was correct. You didn't have the same problems. They fixed whatever issue it was. Now, some of that was goaltending, just stealing the show for you. But overall, defensively, the structure worked. But it has gotten way too loose. And look, as we talk about defense men, you do have to talk about the defense. And as as liable as the defensemen are, the forwards are just as liable in terms of these bad situations. That's the five-man unit they're talking about. But I only isolate those top four is because that's the one thing that has not changed this season. You've juggled up line combinations. You've thrown in Bortuzzo and Scandella and Perunovic and Tucker, and it hasn't made an impact. Why? Because those third pairs really aren't playing much. It's those late games where we've seen the Blues not be able to get back into hockey games or give up a lot of goals in a little amount of time. The errors Doug Armstrong or Craig Berube has talked about in their own defensive zone, 
the top four has stayed the same from game one up until the last 20 or game 27 where you just played against the Chicago Blackhawks. That's an area of emphasis that at some point you're going to have to look at your team and say, okay, can Perunovic be a guy that plays here for you? Maybe, maybe they still feel like he needs to get his feet wet because it really hasn't been a lot of NHL games for him. Can Scandella provide us a little bit of a bump? Probably, but what impacts our team long-term? And it's not just the defense that's impacting it long-term. It's your forward lines. And this is the other thing, and it goes into the point that Doug Armstrong, Craig Berube juggled up the line combinations. This team's a one-line team. And it was very evident against the Chicago Blackhawks the other night. If you look at natural stat trick and the high-danger scoring chances, 7-2 to two high-danger scoring chances for Jake Neighbors, Robert Thomas, and Pavel Buchnevich. The other combination, Saad Hayes and Kairou had three high-dangers, two against Two and two for Hugh McGing, Oscar Sundquist, and Alexei Toropchenko. Everybody else did not have a high-danger scoring chance. They've got Thomas, Buchnevich, Neighbors as the one line that can create something. The others are not doing that for the Blues. And right now, it's trying to figure out what these other line combinations are. Yeah, they, they definitely are a one-line team. And you feel pretty good about that. And that's why I'm a little surprised that they broke up this that line uh, at practice today and now have Booch centering the second line with Saad and Kapanen. Um, but I, as much as we talk about the defense being an issue for the Blues and where, what they've got to do to exit the retool and how they're going to try and change up the defensive pairings, find the guy for Preco, can I be honest, I'm starting to wonder about the forward group as well because it's not been a great year for Brandon Saad. Braden Chen, I don't think, has had that great of a year. Um, and then you look at Cairo, who's really struggling. Thomas, Cairo, and Buchnevich have been really good. That's only one line. That means you have six spots open in the top nine, and like their third line it has not done much this year. Hayes has been fine, but he doesn't have wingers to play with him, and he's now on the wing of the third line with Shen centering it. Like I'm starting to question what the forward group is going to look like as this retool starts to move forward because, yes, Buchnevich is a really good player. They're going to have to lock him up to a contract. And By the way, he's going to be in his 30s, which is not a Doug Armstrong move. Mm-hmm. Robert Thomas is, is clearly proven that he can play at, as at least your number one centerman, and then you've got Jake Neighbors who's looking like he's going to end up being a really good find by them late in the first round when he was drafted. But then who are you going to fill out the top six with? Okay, yeah, you got Kairou. Uh, yes, you've got Snuggerud and you've got Dvorsky that are coming. Okay, but then you still got that third line because it is no longer having just a top six to go find for the St. Louis Blues. The best teams in the NHL, I think it was uh, Bill Armstrong when we talked to him when the Coyotes were in town a couple weeks ago. He said, the one thing that I've noticed is you need scoring from all four lines. And I would I would say personally, you need it definitely from your top nine. I, I just wonder what the direction is for the St. Louis Blues at the forward group because, yeah, you got Snuggeru and you got Dvorsky coming. But I don't know if Bolduc's the answer there. I don't think Dean's the answer there. Those two kids are struggling in the AHL, and that's not saying they're not going to pan out. Maybe they do, and it's just going through the learning curve. But we've heard a constant kind of, from Craig Berube, questioning of Zachary Bolduc and his defensive scheme working on both sides of the game. We'll see what Zachary Dean ends up coming to. And now you're relying on Snuggerud and Dvorsky really have to hit their ceiling, and you're still questioning what you have in Jordan Cairo. And then you still have the bottom, that third line to figure out for the St. Louis Blues. I don't know. It just... For me, I'm starting to have some questions about how this forward group is starting to pan out through this retool. And this is the retool process. I mean, I I personally feel like the Kings went through this as well. You knew you had Kopitar, and that was about it in terms of your offense. You had some young players like Velarde and Quinton Byfield, but you didn't really know how that was going to pan out. There was guys you had to figure out where they were going to be. 
you know Thomas is here, you know Shen is here, you know Hayes is here, so you've got your center spots locked down. You know Kairou is here, you know that Buchnevich is here for at least the next two years. I don't know what the re-signing is going to look like. Snuggerud and Dvorsky are top six players. There, the, the framework is in place, but now it's finding those complementary pieces, and frankly, that's what this season has been for the Blues. Like You know you got a line that works, Thomas Neighbors and Buchnevich. They had to break it up because other three lines aren't working. It really seems the Blues are trying to find a goal-scoring winger that can play with a Braden Shen and a Jordan Cairo. They're looking for somebody who can provide offense and be a reliable player on the third line with a Kapanen and a Hayes or Sod and Hayes, wherever you want to go with it, and you've got a fourth-line centerman with a fourth-line winger. It's it's pieces right now. The problem is this is the retool process to where it's pieces right now, probably going to take you a couple years because Snugger and Dvorsky don't just step into the NHL next year and say, yep, we're here, we're superstars. That takes a couple of years. It's a long-term cycling. I think they've got the the pillars in place, but now it's finding ways to throw in those right guys that make the roster become whole. And that's the hard part because I don't know, is that free agency? Is that via trade? But you can't do any of that until you have salary cap space, which you got to wait. You got to bide your time with contracts, which is just the weird situation this Blues team is in. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Hey, I mentioned we have two opportunities for you to win a pair of tickets to the Blues game this Saturday against the Dallas Stars at Enterprise Center. Text in now and be texter 101 with the correct answer to this question. Who scored the game-winning goal against Dallas in the 2019 Western Conference semifinals? Game-winning goal, goal scorer. You text her 101 with that player's name. You'll win a free a, a pair of tickets to go see the Dallas Stars on December 16th. You can also find a bonus chance to register to win tickets at 101ESPN.com or on your 101 mobile app. And again, we'll have another pair of tickets to give away in the 1 o'clock it's a hour. Weak trivia question, by what the you, way. Oh, oh, really? Easy. You think you know who that is? Hey, I've heard the fastling complaint about your trivia question, sir. Uh, well, that's That's because new. they're freaking hard and Grand France. Knows how to make them tough. We'll take a break. When we come back, 314 399 9646, our air comfort service text line. Tell if, give us a scenario, and we will tell you if we are in or out next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. That is where you can send us your scenarios for in or out for Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, and I'm Alex Ferrario. You give us a scenario, we will tell you if we are in or out. Let's start with this one, guys. In or out, Zachary Bolduc plays more than five games for the Blues this season. Oh, boy. Put me in a bind on the first Put one. Put you in a tight little spot. I'll say I'm in. Um, if they don't, if they're still floating around this mark, 500, kind of a fringe playoff team, maybe in it, maybe out of it. I think Army knows right now what he's going to do, and that is going to be trade some guys away at the trade deadline. Can he get something for a Scandella? Can he get something for a Kapanen? Honestly, he could probably get something for a Sunquist, which nobody wants me to say, but it's probably true. Um, 
it wouldn't be anything significant, but I think he'll trade those guys, look for some assets, and then you're going to have some spots bare on the roster. And maybe you call up a bold who can just give him a taste of the NHL. I, I could definitely see where he plays five-plus games, so I'm going to say I'm in on this one. I think I'm going to go in on it as well. He's had four years in the queue, and then obviously what he's doing this year in Springfield, he's been in the minors a long time. Maybe they want him to develop a little more in the AHL, but I mean, at this point, you've been healthy all season so far. That's not going to last for an 82-game schedule. Breaking news. It's not going to last for an 82-game schedule. Unbelievable. There will be opportunities for players to jump up. And given what's been going on with this team right now and the the moving parts that we've seen in the bottom six, I can see Bulldog coming up and getting some games. I'm actually going to say I'm out on this. Um, I don't think they call him up because I I don't think you want to put him in any situation like this right now. Maybe at the end of the season, but I'm not sure you see five games. Uh, maybe one or two after the AHL season is over. Maybe you get to be a black ace. But right now, there's no way I'm bringing him up on this team because I don't want him around this losing environment. I want him to be up with this team once things start to go in the right direction. Injuries might dictate this, but if they don't, I think there are two guys ahead of Bulldog before he even gets recalled and Walker and Gaudet. So I'm going to say I'm out on this one. T-Bone? Guys, in or out, some point this season, we will see an extended stretch of Peronovich and Preko playing together. Oh, in. I think it'll start with Perunovic and Falk. But by the end of the season, I will say a two-week stretch, you are going to see Perunovic and Pareko. They play together at times in games. Now, some of it's probably line changes. Some of it is extra shifting a guy for offense. But they played them together. And if you're Doug Armstrong, by the end of the season, I want to know, is Perunovic a top four guy? Can he play with Pareko? Because if not, now I know what I need to go look for in the offseason. So I'll say I'm in on this. Yeah, I'll go in on it too. And I think on top of that, I think Perunovic is going to get a lot more power play time towards the end of the season. You got to figure out what you've got for him on the power play. That's his expertise. So you got you to let him sort of take off on the power play. And I think that might be two things that sort of happen on the same time as he gets more minutes playing up with Pareko and he gets more power play time as well. Yeah, I, I'm in on it because I think there's a chance that the second half of the season is kind of experimentation and that would be to your point put them up on the top unit find out what you have put them up with Preco because they played a lot in the preseason and I don't think that was a oh he's a placeholder kind of like a Nick Letty-esque guy here in the preseason no I think they did that with a purpose so I'm in on this I think at some point you'll see an extended stretch probably wouldn't be till the second half till past the deadline Maybe not even until they either clinch a spot or they fall out of the playoff picture. But I I definitely think you're going to see them try and experiment with this pairing. Grant? All right. In or out, Jordan Kyrou still gets to 25 goals this season. In. What if I raise it to 30? uh, In. I think he still, I think he gets there. I I think by the end of the, frankly, you're probably going to see him go on a goal scoring streak right now. If he and Thomas are back together and Jake Neighbors is playing up there, defensively, I'm not sure what that's going to look like, but. I mean, I got to give Kyrou credit. He has looked really good defensively compared to what he was last year. I think you're going to see the goal scoring stretch start up for Jordan Kyrou. And I know we've said that a lot, uh, but I'll say I'm in on this one. I, you just need to get an extended stretch by him. And frankly, January is when last year Kyrou kind of started to really heat up for the blues. So yeah, in. Yeah, I, I'm going to say in as well. I was just looking at this. So his average vice is basically the same as it was last year where he averaged 18 minutes. Now he's averaging 1808. And he had a shooting percentage at 13.6%, which was good for 37 goals. I think his shooting percentage is going to get back up towards his norm. 
And if he's going to be playing back on the top line, playing close to, if not more, minutes, then I think he's going to get there. I, I think where he where he's going to have to really start making up ground is getting power play points and getting power play or power play goals. So, and I think that's going to come. So I, I'm going to say I'm in. It'll probably be pretty close, but I think he'll get there. How many goals do you think he had through 27 games last season? This is a BK type question. Um, <laughs> I know he started out slow and then had like three and four games. I'm going to go through 27 games. Mm-hmm. going to say nine. Eight. Okay. Oh, I was going to say seven. So that means he scored because he many, finished the year with 37, right? How many power play goals? Yeah, he finished with 37. So he had 29 goals in this final Yeah, and I, I was actually just looking. I mean, he, he is very streaky. He Four went power on a, play goals. He went yeah. on a stretch last year where he had one, two goals, three goals, one goal in four consecutive games. Like, he's the type of player, and that's why every time he scores, it's like, okay, is he going to take off now? Because once he starts scoring... It doesn't stop. Like he just gets on a roll, so he just needs that streak to sort of start here. <laughs> this is wild. So the first twenty-seven games last year, he scored uh, nine goals. <laughs> In the next twenty-four games, he scored fourteen goals. <laughs> so, like, yeah, he's gonna he's gonna end it right where he typically does. He's gonna be a thirty-goal scorer, and you'll see him get back on track. But uh, for some reason, man, some guys just start off slow and then they pick up the pace. Grant actually talked to somebody in preseason about that, where goal scoring seems to always be at a high and then goes down. You're seeing the opposite effect right now with Kyrou. The thing for Kyrou where it might get tough for him to get back to that point that you're talking about is the power play. I mean, the power play is just abysmal. Yeah. Um, and if if the way if the power play continues to look like this. And he's on pace for zero power play goals. Now that will change, obviously, but I don't know if he's going to be scoring at the power play like he did last year. I mean, last year he had 11 power play goals. The way this power play is going, like maybe he gets to five. And if he gets only five power play goals, then I might question if he can get to that 30 goal mark. Uh, Let's do this from the 314 in or out. Dak Prescott is now the MVP favorite. Overlook Brock Purdy, who had a really good game, but I still defend Dak Prescott over Brock Purdy. Anybody who makes Michael Gallup and Brandon Cooks look like um, all-stars or offensive players of the year, yeah. I give that guy the edge over a McCaffrey, an Ayuk, a Kittle, that, and a yeah, Debo That's Samuel. what I was about to say is I think the fact that Purdy has so many weapons, Kittle as well, like he has so many weapons down there that it makes what Dak Prescott is doing look more impressive than what he's doing. I'll say um, in because that was kind of the big primetime showing win that he needed. Now, the Eagles' defense is not very good. Mm-hmm. I just saw, I think they've given up 35-plus points in their last three. Yeah. Um, but I I think a lot of people will see that primetime game played really well. It wasn't a classic Dak blows up and doesn't play well game. That's I, not until the playoffs. Yeah. yeah, and I think with his weapons, I think you're right. I think you have to vote him for MVP. And, it, like, it's unfair probably, but I think the cast around party is actually going to hurt his case because – it is a loaded offense to where he can kind of play dink and dunk if he has to. And you saw what he looked like when they didn't have some of their playmakers. When Debo was out and Trent Williams were out, the left tackle, they lost three games in a row, and Barack Purdy didn't look very good in them. So I'll, I'll say I'm in. I'll say he's probably the favorite right now, but I think it's going to be very close between those two. Last one, 6-3-6, in or out. Tyler O'Neill gets MVP votes next season. Probably. No, yeah. out. Are you kidding me? Dude, he you, know he's going, you know he's I, going to. I was shocked when I read this morning while I was finishing my prep for our show today. I was shocked when I read a Boston piece and they're like, yeah, so it looks like they're going to go into the season expecting O'Neal to be their starting left fielder. What? Well, he couldn't do that here in St. Louis. I, I feel like Tyler O'Neill could be for the Red Sox what Yakub Verona has been for the Blues. 
Like, oh, he had such a good season this one year. He could be on pace for 40 goals. I've, I've yeah. said and this. Oh, he got MVP yeah. votes, so he's got to be worth something in a trade. I, I've said this. Hey, we got a decent return for O'Neal. Um, wasn't a starter, but... Uh, I don't even know I, you could call it a bullpen arm either. I, I've said... That's unfair. <laughs> uh, I've, said, I've said this about Tyler O'Neal probably since 2022. That dude's going to be in baseball for 10-plus years because of that one MVP season. Why? Because he you looks see that good all the time. baseball uniform. Yeah, he does look good. Yes, he does. Um, but you see it all the time. A guy that puts up one great season, mm-hmm. everybody goes, he can do it once. Yeah. He can replicate it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, that's just not true. Nope. Uh, update from Blues practice. Tory Krug was dealing with a personal matter with his wife, and he'll be available tomorrow for the Blues, so that's good news for the Blues. Um, Verana Barubi said, Doug Armstrong just told me he's not playing today, and if there's any more questions, talk to Doug about it. So basically telling you that yeah, he's not a part of this team, and at 1 o'clock, uh, they'll be official from the Blues that he was placed on waivers, and we'll see if there's any retroactive move uh, from the American Hockey League. But we mentioned Tyler O'Neill. He's now traded away. What does that mean for the Cardinals defensively moving forward? And T-Bone thinks they learned the wrong reason or the wrong message with their bullpen arms. He'll explain next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hey, uh, congrats to Mark from Swansea, Illinois, who won our first pair of blues tickets. He got the answer to the easy question I threw out there. So you know what? Grant Francis pushed me into a corner, and now I'm going to come out swinging. I'm going to give you a harder question in the second hour for that second pair of tickets. Good. Maybe I'll have to actually think about this one. Son of a nutcracker. This is this. I'm excited. This son of a nut over here. I, uh... Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come out with a tough one that even Grant won't know the answer to. But alongside Graham Francis and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Alex Ferrario, the Cardinals made a move on the weekend. Yes. And it was the move that nobody saw coming, T-Bone. Out of the blue. Okay. Tyler O'Neill was traded to the Boston Red Sox. It's funny because after our show on Friday, uh, we were talking about how I went on my rant of how I don't understand how people think there's going to be a trade partner for this. And then hours after I said that, Tyler O'Neill traded to the Boston Red Sox. He was traded for reliever Nick Robertson, who has some major league experience, and minor league starter Victor Santos, who has not seen the major leagues. Uh, I think the highest he's been was double A. Did he do triple A last year? Uh, he got a touch of triple okay, A. Okay, so mostly double A, but he's got some swing and miss stuff. You've got some upside for a Victor Santos, but has not seen any major league action right now. So Tyler O'Neill gone. Two more pitchers brought in for this Cardinals roster. And as Mo talked about, as we look to add pitching depth, as well as address concerns on potential playing time in the outfield, we felt this deal worked well in addressing both of those issues. In a release from the team, we are excited to add Nick to our bullpen and feel Victor gives us added depth in the minor league system. So those two guys, Robertson last year, 18 games, 22 and a third innings, six ERA, uh, had 10 and a half strikeouts per nine. Uh, And then with Santos, as we mentioned, a majority of last season, in double a 10 and 12 with a four nine era 145 innings so let's start with the outfield and then we'll get to the bullpen and the messaging that the cardinals took from this doug said it at the winter meeting or doug mo said it at the winter meetings and now it's clear tommy edmund Lars newt 
Jordan Walker. This is what they wanted to accomplish. Dylan Carlson, your fourth outfielder. And then from there, you've got your outfield set. This offseason, they spent as much time looking for pitching as they did unclogging these questions of position players. And Tyler O'Neill was the last one to go. Yeah, I... This trade for me, I mean, we talked about this a little bit on Friday, was it felt like the Cardinals were basically operating on, we have to clear Tyler O'Neill's salary before we can do anything else. And they've now got that accomplished. Now it is, because you're right, we knew what the infield, or excuse me, the outfield was when Mo spoke at the winter meetings. That was set, and it was set in stone, and now they can move on from Tyler O'Neill and they can figure out what they're going to do from there. They just freed up, probably projected like $5 million. I would say he's probably going to get five, five and a half in arbitration, and Robertson's going to make league minimum. Um, I think what's going to be interesting to see is now that they've freed up this money, what they do and how they reallocate it. Are they going to go out there and they're going to sign someone like a Phil Maton, who I think is going to get like five, seven million dollars, can be brought in, be kind of a high leverage reliever for the St. Louis Cardinals? Or was this kind of dumping a salary to go out there and add into their resources that they still have available to go out and get a top end reliever like a Jordan Hicks, who they've apparently met with at the winter meetings, his representative. So I'm fascinated to know what their kind of pivot is. After they've traded Tyler O'Neill and freed up some salary here now with $5 million, I do like what they got, though, in return for Tyler O'Neill because it was what we talked about. Can you get a reliever that's got some upside? And Robertson has that, has a three-pitch mix and has great off-speed pitch. His changeup had a 36.9 whiff rate and a 28.9 strikeout rate. So he's got some decent stuff, can tinker with it. And he's mentioned his 6 ERA had a 3.88 FIP. So he just kind of ran into some bad luck with the ERA, it looks like. Heard that before for Cardinals pitchers. Yeah. Uh, and then Santos is an interesting arm. He missed all of last year due to an arm injury, but he's in the uh, in winter ball right now. He's pitching really well. He had some interesting numbers when he was in double A AA and triple A previously. So they got what we expected for Tyler O'Neill. They got a bullpen arm that looks like he's got some upside potentially. And then they got a shot in the dark prospect to come along with it. I would take that every day of the week for Tyler O'Neill because I don't think you're going to get much more. So the trade's a win. You free up $5 million. You can now allocate that to a potential another bullpen arm, or maybe it freed up money to go out and get a starter, but I would doubt that. Um, and now you've cleared up the logjam that was in the outfield a little bit. There's a little bit more clarity there, and you just added more depth to the bullpen as well. Well, and that's the thing. I mean, you got depth to your bullpen. you got depth to your starting pitching, and, and that accomplishes, but more importantly, it accomplishes getting that money off the books and getting something in return. Who knows what either of these guys are going to be, but you've got pieces back that could be something for you moving forward. The pivot, as you ask, needs to be one thing, and it's high-end relief arm. That need, that or a starting pitcher above Sonny Gray, but that's a different conversation. I think the pivot that the Cardinals realistically can pull off is going out there and getting another high-leverage arm at the back end of your bullpen. And in Katie Wu's piece over the weekend, she said this, the organization desires both depth pieces and high-leverage talent for the relief corps. The addition of Robertson alongside John King and JoJo Romero gives St. Louis a starting point from the depth standpoint. Still, nothing would reassure the Cardinals more than adding one more high-leverage reliever. And the the Reports out there where the Cardinals met with Jordan Hicks's representatives over the winter meetings week. You need one more arm. And Jordan Hicks doesn't get it done for me, but at least he labels as a high leverage arm. The pivot has to be who else is in our back end of our bullpen with Gallegos and with um, Ryan Helsley. That needs to be the pivot because if you don't accomplish that, I don't care that you've got depth in your bullpen. We, you had depth last year in your bullpen and it didn't work out for you so you need to go get another high leverage arm so you're not relying on that depth from your bullpen look i i don't think i know this is going to sound crazy but 
I don't necessarily believe that depth was the lone issue for the Cardinals' bullpen last year. No, was it a part of the issue? Swing and miss stuff yes. from your bullpen. They were lacking swing and miss, which, look, they've addressed that with some of the arms they brought in. The Rule 5 pick that they just selected has some swing and miss. This Robertson guy's got some swing and miss, so they're doing a better job of that. And Maton, if they brought him in or Jordan Hicks, we know has swing and miss as well. But it almost sounds like they're saying, hey, the whole reason that the bullpen was bad, it was it was more of a depth issue and not so much the high leverage arms. Look, Mo has said publicly you know, about the relief market, you know, it's a volatile industry, the relief market. You never know what you're going to get from a relief pitcher. If they're going to operate on the assumption that Geo's year last year was just a one-off, seems risky to me, considering we just mentioned how the relief market's volatile. They need two high-leverage arms. I think their biggest issue with the bullpen last year was they didn't have enough guys that could go into into a ball game in the sixth, seventh inning that had swing and miss stuff and were high-leverage arms. The depth of the bullpen, I thought, overall was just okay. I mean, Verhagen, for all his warts, was fine last year. What they were missing was that shuttle that they could ride from AAA to the major leagues. This year they've kind of addressed that. But it wasn't just depth was the biggest issue. The biggest issue was they didn't have guys that could pitch at the back end of the bullpen. JoJo Romero was fine, but I wouldn't count on that going into this year. I wouldn't count on a bounce back from Giovanni Gallegos. I would only count on Ryan Helsley. I think right now they have one high-leverage arm that they can trust. That's why I think they need to go out and get two. And I think the mistake that they're going to make this offseason is they're only going to go get one. And if they do that, they're really, really banking on a Giovanni Gallegos bounce back and a continue of the success Jojo Romero came off of last season. I think they, if they get one and it's legit a high-end reliever, you put yourself in a position to add the other at the deadline. But I, to what you're saying, if you only go get one high-end reliever, I still think you need to upgrade in one area, and it's either that other arm in the bullpen or it's that high-leverage arm for your rotation. And if you don't update either of those, you're going to be searching for both of those at the trade deadline. And, I mean, it's one thing to ask for the Cardinals to make a trade for one of those. To say that you need two of those is a tough task, a, a task that's probably not even feasible for that Cardinals team, which is why... If you look at the free agent market, because obviously the trade market didn't present any opportunities for you, otherwise we probably would have seen it by now. The free agent market doesn't offer a ton of those high leverage arms other than Jordan Hicks and Josh Hader. And we've already shut down the oh, idea. There, of, there's good arms out there. They're but, not going to be like big, sexy names. And that's fine. Like they could go out and get two relievers like a Phil Maton-esque reliever for five, seven million bucks. They need to get two of them, though. And this is where I, I think they're going to make the potential mistake is go after one high-end reliever, and it may be Jordan Hicks, and give him a three-, four-year deal and pay him about $11 million. Like, to me, that's where the mistake would be, is settling for one guy. You've got to get two. And if that means you have to go kind of down to that middle-tier market, there are still really good arms in that market. They're just not the big, sexy name that we always talk about that you see pop up on the top 40 free agent billboard when it comes out on The Athletic or on ESPN. Yeah, and I personally feel like you need at least one of those guys to to, to be something that presents an opportunity in your bullpen because otherwise if you're relying on Phil Maton and another one of these arms I think it puts you behind the eight ball in terms of those high-end relievers that you're hoping for maybe they pan out maybe they don't but that's also why I'm skeptical of Jordan Hicks because although he looked really good like that guy when he was traded away from the Cardinals it was very rare that he looked like that with the Cardinals and I'm worried it goes back to that and the Cardinals are left looking for that upgrade still. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up next, we'll dive into the junk chart here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best trashed wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry out. Seven days a week. Alongside Tanner Hendricks and Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. As we dive into the junk drawer, we got Luke Korak of NHL.com covers the Blues coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But T-Bone, what do you got for us? So I saw an article yesterday that is the 56 most popular gifts for Christmas shopping this year. Now, I'm very questionable if this is the top 56, but I saw some on here that I was like, why not? You know, may it's tis the season. It's gift tis giving. Tis the season. Maybe Grant or Alex or our listeners are stumped on what they should get. Some I, I already Christmas. have a question. Why? Yes. Why fifty six? I don't know. Like are fifty six days of Christmas. I mean, <laughs> fifty five would be nice. Like fifty five is a pretty like good number. You know, fifty six is so random. You no, know because you're asking questions. I'm getting you a gift from this. <laughs> Well, it's going to get you the number, the 56 <laughs> gift I, I want to read some of my <laughs> no, favorites that I gift. saw that I would put into the category of, if you got this, be prepared for the, what the hell is this gift that I just received oh, response. Socks. socks, one of them. Uh, uh, that is one of them. Dude, it is. No Personalized joke. face socks. Imagine getting no, socks weird. with Alex's face on them. That's weird. I would Although, like to get socks with my dog on them. That'd be cool. <laughs> that's weird, man. Why? No, I think that, well, I... I know, like, that's a thing where you get, like, the photo with the you dog on there. You know why it's weird? It'd because be weird if I got socks that had Ferrario's face it's on It's a it. conversation starter, and I don't want to have Sorry, those. Alex, I didn't know you hated dogs. Yeah, no, I love seriously. dogs. I got two of them at home. I yeah. got two of them at home. Rocchio's the one that hates dogs. I don't even understand. Well, I, I'll get you guys socks with T-Bone's face no, on it. No, I, I will burn those in front of you. Uh, another one that I saw on here is a light-up rose in a glass dome. So, from Beauty and the Beast? Kind of. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I get that from my wife. She'd be like, thanks. Another one, which I didn't even know was a thing. Didn't a 12-inch screen magnifier for a smartphone. Oh, for old people. So, I don't know. They can't read their phone. The well, people that, like, have well, their... No, the way and you know works, who's listening right now. The people that scroll all the way to the right on their phone, so their texts are, like, massive on their phone. I, so, like, in a five-word text, you have to scroll down to read it. The, but the way this works is it isn't, like, a magnifying glass. It is. You set your phone on. I don't even know what you'd call this. It almost looks like a wooden, wooden table almost. And I guess there's this giant screen that he. I don't know if it actually magnifies the phone that it's looking at, or it bl- like Bluetooths it onto there. That sounds my, like a my waste answer, of money. Exactly. My answer to this would be buy just glasses. Blue, no, Bluetooth it to your television. Yeah, or yeah. buy glasses. So, so it's basically like a little projector, almost. Yeah, kind of. That's yeah. what it kind of looks like. Stupid kid. Uh, number eleven. Um, not sure who came up with this idea. They should be fired for it. Uh, it's called a bill. Biliblio, I believe is what it's called. What the hell did you just say? It's a chair. It's a rocker. It's a fort. It's a hat. It's all things. Something so genius has turned out to be the number one gift readers are buying for kids ages two and up. Well, obviously See, here, not. It's 11th. It basically looks like someone is holding like a tub. And they're going to go, it can be anything. It's oh, almost like so if you just I can give my daughter a box and say, you can yeah. make this a castle or an airplane. I mean, it would be oh. about the same thing. Uh, another one on this list. Yeah, that's stupid. This one I might get for our executive producer, Mike Ryder. Oh, I don't okay. know if he's listening. Hopefully not for his Christmas gift. Lightsaber chopsticks is on this list. Okay, that's kind of cool. No, if I, I, I'm going to get Ryder these like industrial-sized staples. 
<laughs> it's going to be the best day of his you life. Need to buy writer mm. pens so he stops telling people to don't take my pen. I'm going to buy you erasable pens oh, for yeah. your book when the uh, NHL off ice officials you know, change the stats. You wouldn't have to do that if the I, officials just knew how many shots on goal were happening. I uh, another one here, candle warmer lamp. Didn't know that was a thing. A until, candle warmer lamp. Yeah, help keep your candle nice and warm during the holiday season. Why uh, do you? T- I'm, I'm sorry, but doesn't your candle that stay sounds warm like something that's going to blow up? Yeah. Well, Does this it, is supposed to be safer, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how. But, Anything yep. that they label as this is supposed to be safer is never safer. Uh, another one on this list, a rechargeable hand warmer. I'm in on that because I got to go outside and do stuff all I do the time. Li- I do like hand warmers. Those so, are good. Instead of having to buy hand warmers, you just get a rechargeable one. That sounds great. What is my, our executive producer? Well, what do you get uh, people should tune on over to our YouTube channel at 101 ESPN SDL because I'm going to pull up this picture of what Tanner should be getting, and this would be the number one thing on Tanner Hendrickson Christmas list. Oh, this you know what good. this is? No. It is a nostalgia two-slot hot dog and bun toaster with mini tongs. Oh, oh you're yeah. in. Look at that. You put the hot dog and the buns in the toaster, and they pop up. Just like at the ballpark. Tanner just Look, leaned back in I his know. chair. T-Bone just got a little hot in here. Yeah. You put that under the Christmas tree for me. So, ladies forget, and gentlemen. Forget the turkey. You know what we should do? Everybody that listening should just send this over to T-Bone right now. So, he has it's, about 500 hot dog it's toasters. It's funny that that's the one that was just brought in here because the next one on this list and the last one I wanted to bring up is a microwave popcorn popper. So oh, what it is is ooh, like no, a, I, I have these. Oh, is it not good? No. Well, it's oh. not, it's not that it's not good. It's very easy and like super, super simple to clean. But dude, the popcorn tastes plastic. Really? Yeah. And I am like yeah. a I'm like a popcorn connoisseur. If my popcorn tastes nasty, I'm not eating it. See, at my house, we yeah. make the popcorn fresh on the stove. We I make our too. own popcorn. I, now, here's a real question: olive oil or vegetable oil? Sometimes coconut oil too. Oh, coconut oil is good. Canola oil is usually what we use. Olive oil. Let me tell you something: gives it a nice like tang to yeah, it. When I you do like it. olive Ooh, oil. It's too. really good. Yeah. So, all right. So all of those suck, T-Bone, with the exception of the hand warmer. So. I'll take hand warmers, but T-Bone wants a hot dog warmer. And now I'm a little concerned how my uh, my dogs will taste coming out of the toaster oven. You're going to cook your dogs? Yeah. Oh, hot I'm the one that hates dogs, right, guys? I just don't want to put them on my socks. T-Bone wants to cook them. Grant Francis, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Lou Korak of NHL.com is joining us next to talk Verona news and what this Blues team is going to find them way their way out of this hole that they're in. All of that next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Well, some more news on the Yakub Verana front as uh, one o'clock was the posting time when players typically go on waivers uh, and Yakub Verana was not placed on waivers by the Blues. According to Elliot Friedman, uh, Boris Kachuk and Dmitry Samorikov were both placed on waivers. Uh, Verana, according to Elliot Friedman, has been available for a trade and he tweeted three minutes ago, we will see if St. Louis worked something out. And of course, that's the report earlier today that we mentioned of uh, Yakub Verana potentially being on 
waivers. And to talk more about it, we welcome in Lou Korak, covering the Blues for NHL.com. You can also follow, find his work uh, at the Hockey News. Follow him on Twitter at LKorak10. Lou Ball, it's great to talk and perfect timing to have you on with this Yakub Verana stuff. I know Barubi really couldn't say much today, but what have you heard about this Verana situation? Well, just what you guys pretty much have. I was under the impression and led to believe that it was going to be waivers. And, you know, you kind of put two and two together when you don't see him out on the ice uh, for practice today. And, yeah, Craig Berube uh, didn't want to talk too much about it. Uh, did have one little brief comment, just, uh, you know, comparing a little bit. Just saying that, it, you know, last year and this year, you don't want to really make any comparisons, but it's just been a struggle for him. And uh, that was pretty obvious uh, Saturday night in Chicago. It did not go well. It was not going well. And, you know, I even mentioned that, you know, the Blues are going to have to do something about it because uh, it, it's got to come to a head and nothing really much is changing here. Uh, you know, you've made him a healthy scratch uh, a number of times this year. And apparently the message still hasn't been sent. And uh, I don't think it was going to be good for either him or for the club to continue down this path. And it looks like it's going to come to a head. Uh, we're just going to, we're waiting to find out when and where and how, and, uh, but it'll, but it's all going to come to a head here pretty quickly. Well, you mentioned in Chicago, well, the blues lose to the Chicago Blackhawks lose to the Columbus blue jackets. This felt like a chance for the blues to really gain some momentum. Instead, they lose both games to two bottom dwellers in their divisions. And then you have comments from Brayden Shen and Craig Bruby after the game, talking about how the team was not ready to play. What did you make of those comments from Craig Bruby and Brayden Shen? Well, just that, or, you know, it's, it's who this team is right now and, and, and just the inconsistency that continues to show. I mean, you talk about those two games, you talk about San Jose. Those are, those are bottom feeder teams right now. Although San Jose has been playing better. I mean, they've come up with some incredible results here in the last week or so with some of their third period comebacks. But at the time you played them, you know, that was a team that not too long before you played them in back-to-back home games had given up 10 goals on home ice in each game. And uh, those are six points you'll never get back. But then again, you talk about a a convincing win in Colorado, uh, a convincing win against uh, Tampa. Uh, You go into Vegas and beat them. So I don't know. Do you look at it that it all kind of balances out that maybe, well, we didn't expect to beat them, but we, uh, we got points there anyway. So that's just a perfect example of the inconsistency in play that this team displays. And, um, you know, I thought Braden Shen said it best. You know, we we tend to pick and choose, you know, when we want to flip the intensity meter and start going and when we don't. And that's that's just not a good recipe for, for success. And that was pretty evident Saturday night. They didn't come out ready to play. Uh, they came out and got behind the eight ball again, two to nothing. Did they get better as the game went on in the second and third period? Yes. But to me, that, you know, you hear the cliche that it's losing hockey because, you know, you're down three to nothing, and yeah, you outshoot Chicago, what, 24 to six in the third period, I believe it was, or that was uh, Friday night in Columbus, but uh, I think it was uh, double digits, and Chicago only had two shots in the third period, but it's a three to nothing game. So it's easy, it's easy to talk about, you know, did they get better? They did get better, but the other team had something to do with that as well because they were sitting back a little bit more. We're talking with Lou Korak, who covers the Blues for NHL.com here on BK and Ferrario. Lou, one more, just going back to Yakub Verana quickly. Do, do you believe that, that there is a potential trade partner out there for Yakub Verana where it seems like just the reaction to a lot of national media when Verana was potentially placed on 
on waivers earlier today, it seemed that there was surprise by a lot of those people. Um, Alex, I'll be honest with you. I, I thought about that and, you know, I, a couple of us had talked about that in the last couple of days. Uh, is, is there a potential trade partner? And I just didn't see one because, yeah. you know, you, you see it and people, people read it and people understand and they watch. They wonder why this guy is a healthy scratch, why it's a struggle when he does play. You're talking about, yeah, Detroit's on the hook for half of his cap, but uh, you're talking about uh, still having to pick up uh, $2.6 to $2.5 million, I believe is what it is. And uh, for a guy that's really just, just for whatever reason or not, hasn't produced this year, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a team that has cap flexibility, maybe San Jose or somebody, somebody that's down in that area. Arizona's not, I don't think Arizona's a team that's going to be taking on anybody else's scraps anymore with the way they're going. But uh, maybe there is a trade partner. You maybe scratch out some kind of a draft pick, uh, I guess, because I just don't think you're going to get much more for them other than that. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with you there, but it was just kind of curious what when Elliot Friedman uh, reported that. Uh, we're talking with Lou Korak. So, Lou, going back to that game against Chicago, Braden Shen's comments, we talked about this earlier in the show. It's starting to become eerily similar to last season, and I know they haven't gone on a seven-game losing streak. Frankly, this team's better than what last team's last season's team was because of the ability to kind of stop the snowball. But with Shen's comments, does that mean that this team's starting to trend towards last year's team? Uh, I still think it's a little too early to go there, um, but you are starting to see some remnants of what you saw last year, and you better nip it in the bud pretty quickly. And if you don't, uh, it's it's going to snowball. We saw how quickly, and you were there, and you've seen it. We saw how quickly it snowballed last year, and really there's no way of climbing out of it. Right now, uh, you are what you are. You're a 500 team. uh you're going to play 11 out of the next 15 now. You just came off of a pretty, pretty hard schedule here. Let's not, you know, let's not underscore that. You played 11 out of 15 on the road. Some some goofy road trips. You come back home for a game. You're right back out on the road. Not to make excuses, but now you're going to start a stretch of 11 of 15 at home. We're going to see what these guys are made of. But uh, those were some alarming trends the last couple of games of what you like. You've mentioned what you saw last year. Uh, some turnovers, uh, odd man rushes against, and falling behind in games early, not being ready to play. Those were things we saw last year. You haven't seen a ton of that this year, but so I'm gonna so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna hold off on thinking that it's that it's going full bore in that direction. But you have seen some remnants. You just got to nip it in the bud here, like I said, pretty quickly. Lou, today at practice, the Blues dr- juggled up the lines. Neighbor Thomas and Kyron out of the top line. Sod Navich and Kapanen on the second line. Are you a little surprised to see the Blues move Pavel Buchnevich back to the center position? A little bit, and uh, addressed that with Craig Berube today, and he's just trying to find some balance is what he said. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a little peculiar. I thought maybe if if you're looking for somebody, again, to go back into that center position that it might be Kevin Hayes, but he seems to like uh, the Hayes-Shen combination for now, and that's you know reserved to to change at, at any moment. But uh, he did say he could still see a little bit more from those guys, but I think he's seen enough to leave them together for now. That's the direction that maybe I thought that they were going to go in, and you know they tried the Buchnevich experiment at center last year. I didn't think it went all that great, 
I'm not so sure if the player himself likes to move into the center position, but um, Craig Ruby said today that, you know, he, he's trying to find some balanced scoring. And you saw what happened. You know, you had a lot of shot volume against Columbus and Chicago, but just not a whole lot of results. So right now, again, you've got a coach that's uh, dealing with a team that's lost three in a row. He's trying to find whatever he can. And, uh, you know, this was a move that maybe I didn't project seeing coming into practice today. But we'll see what the results are because it looks like this is the lineup that they're going to go with tomorrow against Detroit. Final one for Lou Korak. Lou, speaking of that chemistry on the ice defensively, it's been the same top four all season. They really haven't juggled it up other than in-game, maybe switched it up here and there. Tory Krug and Justin Falk and uh, Nick Letty with Colton Pareko. It's been part of the roller coaster this season. Is there an opening for Scott Perunovich to take one of those spots or is this just a continue with the same top four? I think for now, Alex, to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's going to go the way it's going right now because I just don't see any one of those younger guys right now jumping up and, and, and taking the bull by the horn, so to speak. It, it just hasn't happened yet right now. And, and again, to Perunovic's defense, he just hasn't played a lot, but it just makes you question and wonder, is he ready for the NHL level yet? And same same thing with Tyler Tucker. I don't think those guys are ready for this this level of competition yet. Not to say that they're not going to grow into it, but you've just seen too many inconsistencies, especially with a player like him. They're giving him all the opportunity right now, but you're seeing, you're still seeing glaring mistakes defensively from him that they're trying to work out. And so, if, if you're gonna, if he's going to be vulnerable in those areas, it's just hard for me right now to see him jumping up into a top four and grabbing more minutes. Uh, he's just going to have to continue to play. They're going to have to continue to work with him, and they're, they're going to have to continue to keep him in the same light that they are right now because right now he's just not showing, not, not to me anyway, enough that he's ready for that role. He's Lou Korak. You can find his article up on his Twitter account, L, at LKorak10, following that loss of the Chicago Blackhawks. You can also find it at the Hockey News. He is Lou Korak. Lou Ball, always appreciate the time, and uh, we'll see you at the rink tomorrow night. Alex Tanner, good talking to you guys. Have a good one. There you go. That's Lou Korak. Follow him on Twitter at LKorak10. And if you missed it, what we were talking about at the beginning there with Lou, uh, Elliot Friedman reporting that Verona has not been placed on waivers uh, and instead he was av- made available to trades. And Elliot Friedman said in his tweet, we will see if St. Louis worked out something. So uh, we'll have to wait to find out if something changed on that front. But um, no Yakub Verana on waivers. And uh, I think Lou talked about it there perfectly, T-Bone, talking about Verana's time has had expired. And that's why we're seeing Buchnevich move to center because they're they're trying to find any line chemistry that they can. You're starting to see remnants of what they like. They like Thomas and neighbors together. They like Hayes on a wing with Braden Shen. Everything else is still up in the air for this Blues team. Yeah, they don't really know what the second line is yet. And they haven't really found a pairing that they really like. Um, for Verana, yeah, time had come. And like, look, it, his style of play Every team will have a guy like that that is just offensive-minded, doesn't really want to play defense, but it doesn't work when he's not scoring. I mean, Vladdy had a little bit of Rana in him where he was offensive-minded, would go through defensive lapses, but Vladdy was producing. Vrana didn't even record a shot in the last two games. It was a minus four. That just can't happen. Uh, I'm, I am shocked, though, that they decided to go with Pavel Buchnevich at center because I understand the idea of they're looking for balance, but... I didn't. I agree with what Lou said. I I didn't think that the 
production from not production, but I didn't think Butch Davis looked very good at center last year when they went through that kind of experimentation with it. And I don't know how comfortable he truly was playing in the center position. And now they're going to throw him back in and try and hope that he's going to help the second line produce offensively and help them end this three-game losing streak. I don't know. It, it's a little surprising to me that they decided to throw Buchnevich back into the center position. I understand their reasoning behind it, but after seeing what happened last year and how he played at the center position, I just assumed that they said, okay, that is like dire need in terms of like injuries will put him there. They're not dealing with injuries right now. So I, I, I'm I'm really surprised they decided to go back to Buchnevich at center. I think it's because they're looking for offense. And they're, they're, they're really trying to get Sod and Kapanen going. And Shen hasn't been able to do it. Hayes hasn't been able to do it. Thomas hasn't been able to do it for either of those guys. So now you put Buch there. I'll say this. Buchnevich wasn't bad offensively as a centerman. He just wasn't good in the faceoff dot. And the problem was you were losing all of those faceoffs and you found yourself on the other side of the ice rather than the offensive side of the ice. So maybe this is just an offensive zone, neutral zone where you see Booch out there, uh, but Kapanen can take faceoffs as well. So uh, surprised by it, absolutely. But I think this goes to show you where the Blues are at right now in terms of what Lou said. You got no line chemistry for everybody that is not Thomas Neighbors and Booch Navich. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll get back to the Blues in about 15 minutes, but coming up next. Oh, there's more that took place over the weekend other than Otani and Tyler O'Neill, which oh, means, yeah. and I'm really excited because this is Graham Francis's first time ever. It's time for our Major League Baseball offseason roundup. Yeah! Next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. trying to figure out how to do He's this right now his, hell, his hat doesn't stay on his earphones aren't going noob am i right yeah well i can't keep my headphones don't <laughs> stick on my head when they're backwards like yours That's also so why i can't keep my headphones on either so all right plenty of stuff going on around major league baseball as we round it all up here on bk and ferrario let's start with the cardinals though per katie Wu. Cardinals are looking for a high-leverage reliever after they traded away Tyler O'Neill and they met with Jordan Hicks's representatives at the winter meetings. I, I'm f- like, look, if you get Jordan Hicks on a one-year deal, this is fine for me. I, I still don't believe he's the back-end starter that you need. Frankly, you've been down this path and it didn't work out well for you. But if this is who you walk away free agency with, out of your back end of your bullpen, good for the Cardinals to be able to get something that you can say, yeah, we've got three guys out now that we can go to. Yeah, I look, I'm, just, they, I'm done with this experiment. <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind it if it was like a one or two year deal. The problem is, is I think Jordan Hicks is going to get like three, four years and he's right. going to get like 11 plus million dollars a year um, because he turned down a, a contract extension right around 11 mil per year. So I, I don't mind it. Because he is a high-leverage arm. And look, he figured it out last year. But granted, you're right. You saw the inconsistencies in Jordan Hicks, and I would be very worried about that on a multi-year deal, making over $11 million per year. So I would much rather go a different route. If he was taking a one, two-year deal, sure, I'd be all in. He figured it out on another team, though. Like, shouldn't that be a little concerning well, he for people? figured it out here. The Cardinals fixed Jordan Hicks and then traded yeah, him away. Because I know, don't forget about that, because he was awful in the first month of the season. There's no doubt about but it because we I'm talked concerned. about the FAM. But they were able to fix him here in St. Louis. The Cardinals made it work. The Cardinals were able to fix him. 
It would be a different conversation if the Cardinals had DFA'd him than he had success in Toronto. Yeah. No, the Cardinals fixed Jordan Hicks. Maybe they know what was going wrong, and maybe they can be the ones that lead him to sustained success in the long run. I just weary of giving a bullpen arm three, four, five years. Well, that's the Cardinals big move in the NL Central. And then there's another team that's got an even bigger move as we continue with our Major League Baseball offseason roundup. The Milwaukee Brewers. What are they doing? They they countered the Cardinals signing of Sonny Gray, the Dodgers signing of Shohei Otani and said, you know what? We still want to compete for an NL Central title. So we are going to keep Corbin Burns. What? This feels like this feels like when um you when, when you drive past somebody and they cut you off and you look at them and they're, you know, flipping you off like, "Yeah, screw you, buddy." And you go, "Ooh, okay, tough guy." In other words, what Alex does. What I do all the time. That's what it feels like the Milwaukee Brewers doing this. Ooh, so we're going to keep Corbin Burns and we're going to compete for an NL Central. Yeah, but what else do you have? Because you don't have Brandon Woodruff. You didn't really upgrade your pitching staff other than having Corbin Burns. And your offense was pretty bad last year, and I don't know if it's getting any better. So the NL Central still feels like the Cardinals are out front, barring any other moves by teams around them. Yeah, you know what I call this report from Bob Nightingale on the Milwaukee Brewers? No, I call this leverage. <laughs> this is Milwaukee going, We need more. Oh, oh you, you don't think we'll keep them? We'll keep them. We, we will. You test me. I'll keep oh, Corbin Burns. Up. Yeah, they're going to trade Corbin Burns. Like, He's on a one-year deal. He's going to be a free agent next year. The Brewers operate like a small market team that's constantly churning out talent, okay? They're not keeping Corbin Burns. And if they do, they're going to trade him at the trade deadline. You know why? Because they're not going to be in the hunt for the NL Central because they don't have a good enough offense. I still think they're going to trade Corbin Burns. I still think they're going to trade Willie Adamas. I think they kind of leaked this out there because they weren't happy with their offers and are going, are going hey, we'll keep them. You you watch it, partner. We'll keep them. They, they did the polar opposite of what John Mosley liked it with Tyler O'Neill. They're like, yeah, we're trying to trade Tyler O'Neill, <laughs> yeah. and if somebody wants him, give us a call. The Milwaukee Brewers like, no, we're not going to. Tr- we're going to keep this guy because nobody wants to trade for this guy. Yeah, I. When I saw this report, I was like, okay, sure. Someone's. Uh, uh, this is. This is. They are. I mean, they're in the same spot as what the Rays are. Um, if Bieber has any value, the Guardians are at where it is they're waiting for the free agent market to settle they're waiting to see what happens to the top guys in montgomery snell yamamoto once those the board yeah then the calls get more interesting to the brewers to the rays all these guys that are on one-year deals essentially that are rentals then you're going to see somebody give a pretty penny to get corbin burns i still think the dodgers are a team that could make sense for him now you know who the brewers are right now they're spongebob at the salty spittoon this guy just steps into the first roundup and he makes a better cowboy reference than any of us have come up with the rest of like the entirety of this. Segment. This guy making references. First of all, that might be a first on this show. That's true. This is a big segment <laughs> because for me. you've never been able to understand or, or partake in references. Oh, it must have been good because <laughs> I didn't get it. You didn't get a SpongeBob. Did you reference? never watch SpongeBob? How the hell did I get a SpongeBob, SpongeBob reference? It was not a SpongeBob. Disgusting. Guy what were you a Barney guy? I was a good luck Charlie fan growing up on Ugh. Disney. What's good luck Char- Charlie? Was a great show. I don't know what that it's is. Fine. Do you know? Do you know SpongeBob wasn't Disney, right? Yeah, he was Nickelodeon, <laughs> but I didn't watch Nickelodeon growing up. Too uh, too raunchy for you. Yeah. <laughs> Unrealistic. Kid friendly like Disney with Like there's a sponge under the sea. <laughs> well, okay. Let's, let's continue. <laughs> let's continue with our Major League Baseball offseason. season. <laughs> 
Round up. Dodgers basically give $700 million to Shohei Otani and said, we're not done yet, boys, because the reports are that their top trade target right now is trading for Tyler Glass now. And this makes all the sense in the world for the Dodgers. I still don't know if the Dodgers are going to be any good this season. Their offense is probably going to be awesome, but I don't know how their pitching is going to hold up. They still don't have any pitchers that I can rely on because I'm not sure with Walker Bueller what he's going to be doing. Clayton Kershaw, if he's back, is going to be old as pretty much anybody in the league. Might be older than Bartolo Colon right now. No, it's not possible. But you go out there and you try for trade for Tyler Glass now. At least you got that top ace for your staff, and then you get through this season with an incredible offense. Yeah, he makes sense so much for the Dodgers. And again, I, I think there is going to be a bidding war for him, and that's why we talked about it last week. Would the Cardinals be willing to get into that for a Tyler Glass now? Because yeah, he makes sense for the Cardinals. Makes sense for everybody though, because he's making twenty five million dollars on a one year deal, and it's not going to cost you a ton in ter- terms of trade capital he makes all the sense in the world because you're right they have to add to their rotation and that's why they're basically like you look at reports it's like oh dodgers connected oh dodgers connected oh dodgers connected <laughs> they, they've got a lot of irons in the fire they're trying to work things out build that rotation out so they can be competitive because they're not going to have otani on the mound this year don't know what to expect from bueller don't know what to expect from their young guys like bobby miller and so on and so forth i was shocked i saw on i think it was the FanDuel sportsbook they put out uh, over under on the dodgers win total after the otani signing currently was at like 102 no chance not right now now they had a glass now which i think definitely is possible and they build out that rotation a little bit more bring in some veterans to help them out then sure i'd listen to the argument right now not a 102 win team they need a lot of pitching help and that's why they're going to be very active still yeah well and if it's not glass now maybe try and go for shane bieber from cleveland maybe go for dylan Cease from the white Sox. they're going to be very active on this one one more with our major league baseball offseason <laughs> Up. The final. Look at you guys. I'm so proud yeah, of both of you. Really I'm so there. proud of both of you, man. I think I pulled something. Yeah, that's what happens. <laughs> this is why I I take the break when BK's not here, so I don't have to. Uh, per not Bob Nightingale, uh, Yamamoto's price tag just continues to soar, likely to reach 300 million dollars. And I read a report from Buster only moments ago that basically said he's met with all of the high 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 making money teams. Terrible way for me to frame this the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, and he's also met with the Giants. So you're talking about a 25-year-old who's probably going to get $300 million, maybe more uh, for Yamamoto. Yeah, I think he's going to get a huge deal. I think he's looking at like an eight-year, $300 million type contract. And maybe it's not 300 mil. It may be under that, but the posting fee gets it to that Mm -hmm. mark. I'm worried it's going to be 300 mil and the posting fee takes him over that mark. Well, you shouldn't worry because I know that this... Well, no, the the Cardinals Cardinals are going to get in on this one still. They're the dark horse team that nobody's talking about. No, they've Yeehaw. left. They've left town. <laughs> Not around these parts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Grant. I'm Not so proud of both parts. of you. Oh uh, my god. I I'll be curious to know where he goes because I don't think he's going to the Giants. I I think he's going to end up with the Yankees or Mets, and I think it's probably going to be the Yankees. But I'll be curious to know if they will be willing to win a bidding war against the Death Star, New York, Steve Cohen. So I I don't know. I, I don't know where he's going, but he's definitely going to get a huge contract, and I can guarantee you. The Cardinals are not in on it. Did you just not understand a SpongeBob reference, but make a Star Wars reference? Yeah. That's realistic. No, count me out on that one. Yeah, count me out on that one. Count me out, partner. (laughs) Grant's good at this, man. (laughs) That's going to do it for this edition of Major League Baseball Offseason. Random. (laughs) Blues are at the crossroads. Frankly, they're at the, uh, what's that called? The, uh. 
Are you I, looking for a cowboy I, reference? I don't know. I'm looking for a cowboy reference, and it's not coming to me, so we're going to move past it. They're at a crossroad moment. What does that mean for this roster and also the coaching staff? We'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Grant Francis, I'm Alex Ferrario. As you heard Grant mention, the Blues will be back in action tomorrow night when they take on the Detroit Red Wings, trying to snap the three-game losing streak. I'll have pregame First Community Credit Union pregame beginning at 5.30 here on 101 ESPN. And although it doesn't feel like it, this is going to be an important game for the Blues because Lou is right, despite if you call it an excuse or an explanation, they have had a very tough schedule where you've played 11 of 15 on the road, not one of those have been in the same city. You've been on the run a lot, and now you get to come home for an entire week. You face off against an Eastern Conference team you've had success against, although not undefeated, as Grant reminded me on Saturday that Columbus is an Eastern Conference team, not a Western Conference team. This is an opportunity for you to at least to, to answer the bell of what's taken place and put yourself back into a position. But what's different about this season to last season, T-Bone, is you were at a crossroads last year that you didn't have the ability to react to if that makes sense you were forced into that crossroads decision of becoming a team that had to kind of focus on the future rather than the now mostly because of multiple seven or more game losing streaks this season although it looks bad you're seven and eight in a 15 game stretch and you're one point out of a playoff spot behind the arizona coyotes so you really are at a, at a crossroads if you're Doug Armstrong in the front office, which makes sense that they made this move with Jakub Verana, whether it be waivers or try to move him. He obviously doesn't seem like he's going to be a part of this team moving forward. You being one point out of a playoff spot means, you know what? If you can figure this out, you can put yourself right back into the conversation of being a playoff team. And remember, Doug talked about it last year, hopes that this team's at the 50-yard line moving to the offensive zone rather than the defensive zone. And if you get to a playoff spot, great by you. That's, that's how you build something. But although you are one point out of a playoff spot, you are also three or four points away from being one of the bottom four teams in the, in the Western Conference. And don't look now, but the Edmonton Oilers have won seven in a row. They're two points behind you. Calgary has won five of their last 10. They're two points behind you. Minnesota's won four of their last five games. They're three points behind you. And if those teams find a way to move ahead of you, you're talking about Calgary, Seattle, Anaheim, Chicago, and San Jose all being worse than you. And if you're in this retool, it seems as a front office, you have to look at this and go big picture here. Are we a team that can squeak into the playoffs and at least say that we're building towards something? Or are we a team that might need to focus on the draft big picture, sell off some some pieces, and find a way to put ourselves in a good spot to get another good draft pick in this retool? Because what you don't want to happen is you be that fringe team where you make some noise, you don't get in, but you're the 13th worst team in the in the Western Conference, which gives you a 14th or 15th spot in the draft, which doesn't benefit a team retooling. Yeah, I... The the crossroads, I don't think they're there just yet, but it's on the horizon um, because they haven't been able to put together a winning streak to really potentially solidify themselves into the Western Conference playoff field. I, we've talked about it last week. This team wins like five games in a row. They could really potentially put themselves in great position for the playoffs. I mean, they're, they're seven points out of first place in the Central Division. Yeah, so like the NHL, the Western Conference around them, 
has kind of kept them afloat while they're still trying to figure things out. And really, everybody in the Western Conference outside of the top-tier teams are trying to do that. But you're right, it's going to be an interesting question for the front office to answer as we get closer towards the trade deadline and the way things trend from now up until that point is do we kind of sell off pieces? And look, I don't think they'd get anything serious in return unless they were going to float around the idea of trading a Buchnevich. I don't think they're doing that, so I don't think that's going to happen. The guys they'd be looking at would be like a Scandella, would be looking at a um, Kapanen, would be looking at a Sunquist, guys of that ilk. Not going to get a whole lot in return. And honestly, trading off those guys, don't think you can even really, quote-unquote, tank yourself down into a top-five pick. You might be a fringe top-ten pick team. But they're going to have to determine as the season goes on, and at some point they're going to reach the crossroads of, hey, we need to figure out what we have in guys. What is Scott Perunovich? We need to move him into the top four. You know, right now they're kind of pl- they're playing Tory Krug in the top four, whether that is as he is the best option for us right now, or it is we're trying to kind of show him as a trade asset in the offseason potentially. They're going to be at a crossroads at some point determining, do we push for the playoffs? Do we add to this roster? Do we keep it intact to try and get into the postseason for what you said, build on some positive vibes? Or, and this is probably the route I think the front office probably views this at this point, would be my guess, is, okay, we just trade a couple pieces away, and then we just see where the chips lie and see if this team can kind of still push their way themselves into the playoffs, but we find out more of what we have in a Scott Prunovich and bump them up in the lineup. I think right now where we're at is I think we do fall a little bit of victim to the prisoner of the moment, and it looks really bad right now because the Blues just lost to Columbus and Chicago, two of the worst teams in the league. Like, it, I, I, We've been pretty negative today compared to what usually we talk about, but when you lose to Chicago and Columbus, that's kind of what happens. But if you look at it from a, a whole perspective – Blues have played a lot on the road lately. They're coming back home for six of their next nine games this month at home. Mm-hmm. They're seven and four on at on home ice this season. They're six, nine, and one on the road. So if they can come in and win these next three home games, you got Detroit and Ottawa. Those are two pretty decent teams, but they're winnable games, especially with some players that Detroit's going to have out tomorrow night. And then you've got Dallas on Saturday. That's obviously a tough one. But if you can come out and win these three games, all of a sudden we are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum where right now we're talking extremely negatively. If they come out and win three games in a row on home ice, we're kind of maybe overestimating them afterwards saying, Oh, this team actually isn't as bad as we thought they were. I'm not sure. Maybe I'm the only one here and I'll be called the negative Nancy. They would have to do a lot for me to really feel super positive on the team. And what I mean by that is not just go on a winning streak. Cause I don't think necessarily you have to go. They'll have to go on a winning streak at some point. But I'm not necessarily just going to judge them on, oh, did they win five games in a row? No, I'm going to see how they play. They haven't played consistent hockey all year. And I don't just mean from game to game to game. I mean for 60 minutes. Well, they've played, what, one game of 60-minute hockey? Uh, Maybe I, I two? I think they've played a handful of games where they've been a full— Look, there's been slip-ups in games— to where the other team has gained momentum, but that's going to happen no matter what. No team is going to be dominant from start to finish. I would give them a handful of games that they've been clearly the better team than their opponent this season. I think so, too. I think the first 13, 14 games of the season, they were pretty solid. Calgary game, they were better They were, they were, were better than them from start to finish. Pittsburgh, they were better than them from start to finish. When they played Chicago the first time, they were better than them. Two to one victory they had over Arizona. I'll give them credit. They, they've been a solid team at times this season where you watch that game and you say they were the better team from start to finish. 
Now, where I will agree with you is every area of their game has not been consistent because the first 10 games, defensively, they were outstanding. Offensively, they were not good. And then the next 10 games, as we talked about, their defense has completely slipped up. Their offense picked up the pace. Now you're in this weird entity where your defense has slipped up, where you're allowing a ton of goals, and you've scored nine goals in the last five games, and your goaltending is falling apart. So, like, the consistency has not been the same from start to finish, which just does not make a whole lot of sense to me, which is so hard to criticize them, because if you go segments like Ken Hitchcock has talked about, 10 games, they look like a team that should be in the playoffs. The next 10 games, they look like a team that might be in the playoffs. See, I... And now they're in a 10-game stretch where it's like, yeah, they're not a playoff And team. now I know I'm going to really come off as a negative Nancy. I think in those thir- first 13 games where we talk about the defense being better, I think to a certain extent, yes, the defense was better compared to where it is now. They were still giving up high-danger chances and being saved by their goaltender, which, look, I get it. That's his job. But the underlying numbers showed, hey, man, Bennington's really bailing out the defense because the defense is still giving up quite a few good opportunities. It was still almost, to me, like the – hey, the check engine light is on and something's about to kind of go the other way. And look, maybe they do prove me wrong. Maybe they do figure this out defensively and offensively really turn turn the tide. But I, I, I don't know. I, I see this team as they would have to do a lot for me to really buy in in terms of the positive nature of, okay, now this is a team that I can really buy in on if I'm the St. Louis Blues. And look, it's okay. It's a retool year. It, it's tough to be critical of the St. Louis Blues team. Why? Because they are in a retool. This We were warned coming into this year, like, our goal is to be a playoff team. Don't be shocked if we're not a playoff team, though, because we are retooling. We've got placeholders in certain spots right now. So it's tough to judge the Blues right now. But in terms of the being positive, looking for those positive signs, look, there's a couple things to look at. But from a team game overall, if Braden Chen's coming out and saying, and Craig Bruby's coming out and saying, hey, we just aren't ready to go from the get-go, yeah, there's serious issues that need to be raised about the Blues. Yeah, well, we'll see if those issues are responded to tomorrow night against the Detroit Red Wings. And we've got your second opportunity to win a pair of tickets to go see the Dallas Stars this Saturday to wrap up that three-game homestand. Text in now, 314-399-9646 for the opportunity to win this pair of tickets on December 16th. Your texter 101 and can answer this question because Grant Francis called me out, making it a little more tougher. Steve Ott, assistant coach, spent nine seasons playing for the Dallas Stars. What number did he wear while he was a member of the Dallas Stars? You tell us that by texter being 101, and you'll get that pair of free tickets. You can also find a bonus chance to register to win tickets to a 101ESPN.com, or you can do it on the 101 mobile app. We'll rewind it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. Wrapping it up here on BK and Ferrario as we hit our rewind. Tanner Hendrickson, Graham Francis. If you missed anything from the show today, you can check it out on our podcast page, 101ESPN.com, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. You can also watch us on our YouTube channel at 101ESPN STL, uh, presented by the Air Alliance team. We'll go quick here because the fast lane coming up next, but we'll rewind it with Yakub Verana as Verana uh, was reported to be waived, and then they did not waive him, according to Elliot Friedman, uh, potentially could 
could be a trade, as Friedman reported. We'll have to wait to find out with this one. But I think it's pretty clear he's not a part of this team moving forward. Yeah, it was clear his time was up. I mean, it was we all knew it going into the road trip that it was going to be like one final chance for him. And in two games, 10 minutes of ice time, no shots on goal in a minus four. Yeah. And if he's not going to produce offensively and be a major liability defensively, it just makes sense. Now, I'm curious to know if there's a trade partner out there, uh, what the Blues do with him, we'll see. But it was clear his time was up here in St. Louis. Yeah, well, we'll find out. Um, we'll find out where he goes. By the way, you could join Curbs at 101 and 101 ESPN this Sunday at the new Chicken and Pickle in St. Charles. This Sunday, the first pickleball tournament ever at the new Chicken and Pickle location, and it's an Ugly sweater tournament. Plenty more happening at their new facility that includes 11 pickleball courts, a game yard, a rooftop bar, and so much more. You can check it all out this Sunday with Curbs, who will be a chicken and pickle from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. in St. Charles. Get more info at 101ESPN.com. Chris Kerber will be with you tomorrow on the broadcast. Jamie Rivers, Anthony Stalter are coming your way next. The Fast Lane here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.